Hey, this is Kelly Schaefer from Atheist and Till the Dirt. And you're listening to KFMP Misery Point Radio. Crank that shit. Wanderers, thanks for joining me again on Misery Point Radio. As always, I appreciate you trudging your way through the cosmos to hang out with me here in the wasteland. It warms what's left of my withered little soul to know that in this moment, this one piece of time, your unquestionable presence shields me from the elements as my Jupiter continues its transit. And if that's too much cosmic mumbo-jumbo for you, let's just say I'm optimistic about the future and thankful for the role that you all have played in my universe and will be kill the dirt. Those in the know will of course get all those references. Today's guest is Kelly Schaefer, guitarist, vocalist, and legendary founding member of Florida's Atheist, long considered the godfathers of technical death metal. And in addition to continuing on the path of musical wizardry with these aforementioned metal gods, he has also been hard at work with his newest band, Till the Dirt, with whom legendary record producer Scott Burns temporarily stepped out of retirement in order to produce their highly anticipated debut album. Kelly's roots are firmly planted in the early days of this country's metal scene, and there is so much to talk about in his history that we couldn't even begin to crack the surface, though there is plenty here to give you an idea of just how prolific he has been. We, of course, talked about the current status of Atheist and the confirmation that a new album is indeed in the works, though still in the developmental stages at this point. We also dug into the formation of Till the Dirt and the incredible story of getting Scott Burns on board, recruiting some absolutely epic guest musicians, and how home recording technology helped him put this project together. And for you metal historians out there, there is an assload of awesome rabbit holes that we went down that just might answer some of your burning questions about the early days of Atheist and give you some insight into the mind of one of metal's true innovators. So... Take a step outside the spiral, accept the invitation, and bring on the gods. Check it out. Hey, Kelly, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you so much for taking the time and hanging out today on Misery Point Radio. Thanks for having me, my man. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I keep thinking about our uh, our conversation the other day about, um, you know, random events leading to amazing conversations uh, that take us down new roads. And all of a sudden, you know, here we are just a few days later. So it's just crazy how the world works that way. Yeah, and I, you know, I encourage people to uh, to do the same, you know, because you know, you spend people spend a lot of time online, but but never really reach out. And and our our sort of meeting was very sort of super random, actually. Yeah. Um, just you know, and uh, you know, I I think uh, the the old days of um, of of you know, when you see people like I I found that you know you can reach out to. I think you know back in the day when you wanted to talk to somebody. Um, I don't know if somebody from a band or something, you know, that was just not possible. Yeah. But these days, everybody having their own personal social media, you know, sort of profiles, um, you know, people are always like, oh, I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't want to reach out to you. I don't know what you want to talk. It's like, listen, I wouldn't have a profile if I didn't want to chat. I love people, you know what I mean? And I especially love talking about metal. So, um, yeah, it was nice hearing from you. It was on a post for our mutual friend, Todd Latore. Yeah, Todd, uh, I'm a big fan of Todd. I'm a huge Queensryche nerd. I mean, just going back to the very beginning. And so when I found out that he was doing a solo album, um, 
I was pretty stoked about it, and I, I don't know how much you've heard of that album, but that album I've heard several several tracks. Yeah, I mean, every you know he's made a couple of videos and, and watched them, and yeah, yeah, he's he's so uh, he's just ridiculously talented, and and you know his performances with Queensrÿche are, are stunning. Yeah, you know? I mean he's just really killing it, and um, those are super difficult. You know, super difficult vocals to uh, to do on a nightly basis. You know, I mean, so uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for for his talent. And as we were chatting on the phone prior, would you know, a lot of people don't know that he played the drums on the new Queensrÿche album. You know, he actually tracked those drums. You know, he, I wish they would make an official announcement in regards to freaking Casey Grillo. You know what I'm saying? Because Scott Rock's clearly not coming back. But anyway, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, but he's an overachieving motherfucker. He is. He's, yeah, uh, he's uh, super talented. <laughs> props to uh, props to Todd there. So uh, to Todd, yeah. yeah, well, definitely excited to chat with you today because there's a lot of activity with you, and you do a lot of interviews. You do a lot of talks. So there's there's definitely some I would say reinvigoration about atheist, and of course with your newest project till the dirt and i have no doubt that we're going to go down some rabbit holes today so uh before we veer off into the great unknown uh let's dive into uh till the dirt if that's okay with you sure yeah that kind of came about um super organically uh when covid first struck i you know i often tell people like all the atheist records that i made over the last 30 years this is our 30th anniversary for our uh, unquestionable presence which is our second record and, and so we've been around for a long time and all that music i wrote um you know my parts were all written sort of under the influence of smoking pot and uh <laughs> so you know as a, as a musician you you know whatever whatever mood you're in whatever sort of state of mind you're in reflects in your music and um you know, so so that was always the process for years and years, and and uh, like a really important one, unapologetically. You know, I know some people out there will wrinkle their nose and be like, "Oh, you shouldn't do drugs," and, you know, and and uh, <laughs> it's not drugs; it's it's marijuana. So, anyway, it's uh, it, it it you know, it opens up doors in my brain that um that aren't typically open, and uh, I think anybody that's creative, you know, has um has a sort of uh, muse like that, you know. So the funny thing about Till the Dirt was I was kind of stuck at home. My wife was working. Um, she was uh, working at night. And, well, for the very first part of it, when we were stuck home for, for three weeks, I got a little studio set up in my house and uh, and with headphones while, while the, you know, family was watching television. I'm, you know, over there playing guitar loud as hell on my headphones and, and so anyway i started working on music and i wrote about three hours worth of atheist music and then and then i wrote uh these two songs that were kind of heavier than atheist and, and much more less technical more sort of modern and uh so I, I threw some vocals on them and and i sort of uh sent them around to uh to my my sort of contemporaries my friends and music that i know will sort of tell me the truth and um so I sent it to Gene Hoagland, I sent it to Terrence Hobbs, I sent it to uh, Steve DiGiorgio, I sent it to all these different people that I, you know, I knew wouldn't bullshit me. And um, so I came, I just kind of tripped and fell into, but anyway, the, the process of Till the Dirt was no pot, but doing shots of Jägermeister. So, <laughs> it's a fair so trade. It inadvertently made the music angrier um, in a weird way. You know, I made it more... Um, I don't know, man. You know, it was the very first time in my whole career that I ever did that. And I, I was just like, wow, this is great. If I just have a couple shots, it, it kind of, you know, it's almost, I liken it to when you're in a bar and you're having a conversation with somebody and you, you know, you've had a couple shots of tequila, you tend to be more candid and, uh, and, and, you know, and everybody's kind of that way. You get to talking and, and you talk a lot more shit than you do when you don't drink, <laughs> you know, you're not as cautious, I should say. Yeah. It's so a true serum. 
musically, I kind of found myself in that in that realm where I wasn't. Uh, there was zero thought about what is this? What will anybody think of it? Uh, you know. So while writing, it was it was just really this cool experiment that I just got sort of addicted to. And and uh, before I knew it, I had over 20 songs demoed where I did all the guitars and the and I programmed the drums and and did everything and it, it was really exciting and really different and uh so then I you know I um just by by chance happened to reconnect with Scott Burns again who's a legendary death metal producer for those that don't know you should do your homework you He's should or kid. you can just tune out right now because uh yeah you don't deserve it <laughs> uh he's you know just and he's been gone for well over 25 years i believe and uh hasn't done a record in that long and uh so anyway we were just having you know some some conversation and catching up after two and a half decades and uh you know he's a scott is a super um super blunt honest person um to a fault in a way but i prefer people like that so anyway when i when i told him about you know i we were having a great conversation we were excited about reconnecting and i said hey i have some new music and he sounded really disappointed <laughs> and like you know because he, you know he just maybe thought well according to him he was thinking oh man you know we had such a great conversation and now he's going to send me some some old tired music you know and um and so I sent him the demos and uh, anyway, long story short, he was really like um, excited and blown away about it and, and came on board to help me uh, put the record together, so to speak. So, you know, narrowing down the songs on a, on a, on a producer level, not a, from a, one of the misconceptions is producing and mixing are two totally different things. Um, you know, a, a person who produces a record is really kind of working with the artist to, to, you know, on song arrangements and song lengths and, uh, basic overall vibe and feel and you know and a person mixing it is sort of mixing it to the you know to the liking of a producer and a band right so uh back in the day scott you know with atheist we never really had any we didn't need any producer sort of uh notes at all because our music was so weird that uh all we really needed to do was capture it and um so scott did that so brilliantly with a lot of bands you know he he would offer and interject certain things like when we were doing solos if the solo was shitty he'd be like that ah, you know do it again and you know, do, how about you do? Let's do three of them, and then we'll pick one. You know, so things like that he would interject. But with me until the dirt, he uh, he got re you know he got really uh, he, he he actually bought me. A, I had a real I'm a left-handed guitar player, so I didn't ha I had a really shitty bass that I had to turn the strings around on. And anybody that plays bass knows that that's not a great bass. <laughs> and so one day I just got I, a left-handed bass showed up at my door and a uh, five-string, and I was. I was like, fuck, sweet. So I laid, uh, laid uh, it was, you know, it enabled me to finish songs and, and you know, lay the bass down before I actually brought, you know, the, the, the guys in to play on the record. So um, so he helped me get to the point where we reached out and, and got um, uh, Chris Martin, Daniel Martinez, uh, Yoav Ruiz Feingold, and Anthony Medallia. So those are the guys that toured with me on the Cattle Decapitation Tour that we did with Atheist in 2019. And it's a lot of information I'm throwing out here, but so anyway, long story short, those guys took my demos and we all put it together and we, and we were able to do a record during COVID and, and it was, uh, you know, kind of the only good thing that happened during all that shit, you know, lost a lot of friends and, and, uh, you know, obviously a lot of, uh, opportunity and that, you know, people haven't, we, we haven't been able to tour in two years. So it's a small little gem in a, in a nightmare of a, of a, of a era you know, through COVID, but I really enjoyed the experiment of uh, just sitting here by myself without, you know, sometimes when you're writing songs with a lot of people, it can get difficult. 
because you've got to worry about other people's feelings. And if one guy plays a riff and, and he hasn't had a riff in a song yet, and there's, you know, you're getting to the end of the song and the guy really wants to get his riff in, but his riff is not good. <laughs> you feel like you have to sometimes, you know, for the benefit of the, uh, of the relationship, sometimes you have to concede a little bit. And this gave me an opportunity to not have to ask anybody's fucking opinion. And, uh, it was nice. It was liberating. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, and yeah. you know, what I get out of that basically also is that more or less you pulled Scott Burns out of retirement to do this yeah. unheard of project, <laughs> right? He's like, I mean, clearly you'd had a, you, you knew about him and you guys had, had known each other in the past, but he hadn't done anything, you know, commercially in music for a very long time. It kind of, nor uh, did he want to. Yeah. Either. And, and that was a, so, and that also really just kind of, you know, I, I had to, you know, he, he's so humble that he, he literally didn't think that it, anybody would give a shit. And, uh, and I was just like, Scott, you don't, I mean, he's just not a, he's not on Facebook. He's not a social media guy. You know, he's a family man. He writes software and, uh, really was, um, you know, unfairly treated on his departure from metal because back in the day, you know, uh, there literally was a website that was anti Scott Burns only because of the, the production from Morrisound, which was just, absurd you know that somebody actually created a campaign to to try to come after him because of uh his signature sound so to speak so when he tried to sort of um roll off and do some other stuff you know the doors weren't as open as they should have been for a guy that talented and so he just uh you know the same way that atheist you know broke up in in 93 we broke up because we were like ah, you know nobody's ever going to get this fucking music you know i mean and we're never going to get the you know we, we we don't fit in with anybody uh, we we tried touring with candle mass we tried touring with cannibal corpse you know the opposite ends of the spectrum and uh there was just back then just nobody for us to to fit in with and so we were always going to be an outcast and things just fell apart and it was a frustrating thing and i think scott sort of felt the same thing like you know uh, i can do i can i can mix other kinds of music you know i can do other things uh, but those opportunities weren't afforded to him and and i think shame on them the industry sort of missed out on a lot of good opportunities so anyway and as a result of that he just disappeared yeah and uh and really didn't want to come back um but when he heard the demos and he felt like you know what i, I would like to go out on my own terms sonically and uh and I love this music and I think it's really great. And I think people are really, I think it's really different and uh, something unique as opposed to everybody else sort of, you know, there's a lot of cookie cutter metal out there right now. And there's a lot of, I think we had the conversation the other day of you talking about sort of AI metal <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> where, where it's just not real, you know I mean? It's just, uh, it's just, and it's in, and you know, as a listener, you know, there's a charm to the old school of, of death metal, the way records were made back in the late eighties and nineties uh, when they were made analog and uh you know a lot of those performances are are i know on the atheist stuff or or live drum performances there's no edits no bullshit it's just really authentic and uh and you just you never hear that today and um and so uh i think your ears automatically want to hear things like that so anyway scott heard that organic sort of nature you know uh flaws so to speak you know because flaws are really kind of important well, music. it's it's the human factor. I mean, everything is. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a huge fan of uh, of produced material. Like, I like a nice, clean sound. I like a lot of headroom, depending on the project, things like that. But there does come a point where everything is so quantized and everything is just so um, just artificial sounding for the sake of a, a, a continuity. But you do lose that 
that human factor. I love the fact that like even Dave Grohl still records on tape. Like uh, he's using, you know, some modern software programs, but at the end of the day, he's still recording on tape, which I think is just fucking cool. Um, yeah, and I think another thing that never really happens is, you know, um, that much these days are, are are live. Like when we when we did the Atheist records, uh, you know, we would go into the room with our drummer and we would block up our amps or put them in vocal booths or whatever, and then play the song with him and play it three or four times. And so each take that you hear on an Atheist record is a top to bottom live performance there's no you know no punch-ins or anything like that and um we would and it has a live feel because we were playing with him in the room live everybody is a whole band so so i think that was a great way to and and because the music was so all you know so twisting and turning and in in a lot of different uh you know a lot of contrast uh it really it made it you know, it just made it kind of unique. And, and, you know, we've got, we've gotten away from that and, and, uh, in modern recording, nobody, everything is done in sort of pieces, uh, in, including, you know, the till the dirt till the dirt is a completely different process, um, where we, you know, we weren't in the same room ever making this record, um, which is an odd thing to me, you know, um, typically, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, where we rehearsed, you know, in our, where we had a shitty uh, rehearsal space and, um, you know, and it was hot and in Florida, South Florida, 90 million degrees, <laughs> a lot of the anxiety and anger and angst and atheist came from frustration of, you know, anybody that's ever been in South Florida, the humidity is just stifling. And, and, uh, so when you're in a warehouse, literally with no air conditioning, just fans and, uh, you know, and you're, and you're playing parts over and over and over again. And, you know, arguing amongst each other. And, and, uh, that was our MO, man. And we, and we had a lot of our friends back then that would sit around, uh, on the floor and kind of smoke pot and hang out. And, you know, it was almost like a club, but it was for like underage people, <laughs> we were all 16, you know, 15, 16 years old. And we had a place where we could go and drink and smoke pot and take acid and, and do all those things. And we would just play and write songs. Those are early piece of time songs. All that whole record was written that way with our friends just sitting around, but we would, you know, we would get mad at each other about things. And then Steve would click the sticks and we would play, you know, these crazy things. And the guys in Crimson Glory were like a few doors down practicing and they were so perfect. You know, uh, they were like such a polished act, you know, they were on the verge of signing with Atlantic. And uh, so, you know, the, the, we, we would hear, you know, we would hear their, they had a killer PA in their warehouse. They had a really nice setup <laughs> and uh, we were just down there slumming, you know, but I mean, that's how, <laughs> that's, that's how we kind of, uh, we got our shit done. And, and then we really progressed quickly um over a two-year period um from our our very first demo into our, our first i'm skipping around between bands but but anyway the till the dirt stuff with scott burns he's a, he was a very important guy and this old according to him is the only this is the last thing he wants to do unless he does another till the dirt record this is his sort of swan song uh for for producing so he didn't i know it was important to him to he wanted to be involved but he also wanted everybody to know that you know uh he's not coming don't hit him up to do your record because he's not he's not he doesn't want to do you know this was a special circumstance so i feel so lucky to to be the guy that uh you know that managed to pull off the music that brought him out of the hole yeah you know <laughs> no no solicitation bitches it's uh, he's off limits yeah so. yeah he really does i mean and i and i'm not saying that to, to keep people from using him and that's just that's his i mean he'll he'll tell you the same thing you know but uh but yeah what a what a what a you know for me just a blessing man to, to a you know have him you know to have something new and different and interesting and then have him think that it's 
you know, new and interesting and helped me make it even more cool. So, uh, yeah, I can't thank him enough for, for his involvement and all this. And, and we were able to pull in some really great guests, uh, you know, um, who are just, you know, friends over the years, Jeff Loomis and Steve DiGiorgio and John Longstreth, uh, did some guest spots on the album and they just did an incredible job. And, you know, all that was done through, through the interwebs, you know what I mean? That's just, that's mind blowing to me that, that's how music is made today or that's how music can be made anyway because it would have cost thousands of dollars well i think the you know for for some bands in a certain tier sure you know the the big studio days are are probably still relevant but for the average musician i think with the advent of technology and you know what you can do with the home studio um is is remarkable and you know even bands like you know the last uh flotsam last couple flotsam albums um you know mike gilbert's like yeah we just record this shit at home now and we send it off to have it mixed and i think uh, almost i mean even yeah. big bands i i, I want to say testament might have done the same thing yep on the last one you that's know? what i heard and um so that's you know and and you know for for i guess layman's out there that you know people fans that don't you know there's no there's no it's just a different process it's not as sort of any I mean, there's a, I guess there's a, a, you know, when we talked about that AI element, I guess there is a, a an element of quantiz, you know, quantizing that, that that's necessary in order to be able to do it. In other words, we have to, you know, I track guitars to a click track. Um, so instead of a drummer sitting there having to play the same part a hundred times in a row, <laughs> I can, you know, which is a real thing, right. you know, like if, I, if you're writing a riff, I would, I would literally say to, to my drummer, Steve Flynn, I would be like, listen, you got to play that you got to play that over and over and over again until I, until I get this riff right. <laughs> and that's a nightmare because it's physical when you're playing drums. And, right. and again, going back to the heat of South Florida, that, that, that's where, you know, um, things get testy. So that was another great thing about writing uh, for this till the dirt record is I can sit there all night long and that click track will never give me any bullshit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never yell at me and tell me again, really? <laughs> yes. Play it 50 times in a row so that I can get this riff right. <laughs> And, uh, and that's how I, you know, and, and it really, it, it, for me as a guitar player, it, it, uh, because I feel a sense of guilt while I'm doing that to a drummer. Um, so I felt no guilt with the click track. So it really allowed me to further explore ideas that I wouldn't have normally uh, explored. And, um, and another thing is there's a lot of, there's a misconception for myself as a guitar player that I don't play guitar anymore. Right. And, and, and um, I've never stopped playing guitar. I just stopped playing on stage because I have carpal tunnel in my hand and it really just falls asleep when I'm standing up playing. And uh, if I sit down and play, it's fine. But I just didn't want to be that guy sitting. I didn't want to be Robert Fripp on a stool <laughs> with atheist, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, I thought that would be odd. So, yeah, I, you know, I wanted to have somebody, uh, you know, somebody else come in and play my parts. But but I've always, you know, I've written, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the guitar stuff in Jupiter I'd written. And, and it's more fun. Anyway, I, I really don't uh, enjoy playing guitar on stage anymore. I really just like being able to focus on the crowd and look at the the fun that everybody's having and that's the fun part to me is is just being the singer now i can just walk out and the, oh there's the microphone that's all i need no tuning no no amp no uh, amp issues no wipe you know no wireless issues you know there's just a lot of stress that comes with playing playing guitar on stage that i found uh you know it was uh it was kind of uh liberating to be away from it and just be able to focus on the vocals and focus on the crowd you know, you know i don't even play shows anymore but i was the other day i was i was uh fucking around on my guitar and 
Um, so I have this old uh, Mesa 290 power amp, and I'm like, oh, I need to, you know, I need to change the tubes on this thing because they're probably like 20 years old. And I went in there and I tried to pull a tube out and I fucking broke the tube. It like, it just disintegrated. And so from there on, I started trying to fix this amp and I like all the tubes were breaking. And then I realized, I remember playing shows and having tubes go out on my amps and then yes. having like a, a battery go out on a pedal or having some catastrophe with sound cord issues. Oh you know, yeah. Like if, when you are using cords, if you, <laughs> so if you're using wireless, you know, then there's wireless issues. If you're using a cord, then the cord starts fucking oh, making yeah, noise. Making all or the your, noise. your input jack on your guitar. <laughs> and, and I mean, I can, t- I can, I can remember a time ran, uh, we were playing a, a show at the Ritz theater in Tampa and Rand Berkey, our other guitar player had a really shitty old Gibson V. I mean, it was a great guitar, but it was just beaten to death. And it was, he'd had it since he was probably nine years old. And, uh, and the, he always had issues with the jack and he had a, issues with his pedal well he stepped on uh, somebody jumped out of the crowd and stepped on his cord and pulled not only the jack out but the piece of wood and everything so <laughs> we literally some guy I was, somebody has it on video too somewhere uh, somebody stood there and held his guitar held the cord <laughs> and the piece of wood and everything just held it in place and he stood there and finished the show we had maybe two and a half three more songs to, to finish the set nice and uh, but man that you know if you're in the middle of a, you know, of having you're in the middle of a show and you got to worry about things like that. I just hated that. I hated. It's like a spinal also, tap moment, you know, where like the airplane starts fucking coming in through your wireless signal. <laughs> and one then, time uh, we were playing with Exhorter back in 1989, oh, I think, man. in New Orleans, and uh, we had both just got signed, and and in uh, our albums had just come out. And I think those was Slaughter in the Vatican and, and and Piece of Time for Us, and this is way way back and one of the i think maybe our first road trip as a band you know to new orleans and we go there and i, I got my guitar and I'm, I'm i'm gonna change the strings and uh we're you know they're sound checking and i'm gonna change my strings after the sound check which is fucking stupid you know and uh, i <laughs> i should have changed them the <laughs> night before so then i get to chat with these dudes and they're like you know you want to you want to get high and i was like yeah i'll smoke some pot i don't have any pot so uh, I would get in a, in a car with these guys and they're super Cajun and uh, we quickly realize and we're smoking this joint and it tastes kind of odd, you know, and it doesn't taste like normal pot. And I was like, well, it's New Orleans, you know, maybe they have different pot up here. So we get to the end of the joint, man, and I feel super shaky and weird. So it turns out there was cocaine in this fucking joint, man. So now... And I don't do cocaine. So I was like, oh, God, man, I felt super edgy and shaky. And, uh, you know, we're only a couple hours away from the show, and I've still got to change my guitar strings. So I always think about that moment and how horrible I felt. And it was a really important show to us at the time because we know we wanted to make a good show and it was an out of town gig. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, <laughs> that, that show is on video and on, on YouTube. The show ended up being great. Uh, but, I was, I had so much anxiety getting the strings on and that was with I had a, a Floyd Rose. And so I had to, you know, I had to snip the balls. Oh my God, it was just yeah. a lot of fucking process that, that didn't uh, blend well with somebody putting fucking cocaine in a <laughs> two hours before I'm playing, man. So whoever you are out there, if you hear this fucking fuck you. radio show, <laughs> fuck you for doing that to me, man. So, uh, yeah, that's just back to the reasons why I don't like uh, playing on stage anymore. But I do love playing, and it's my passion. I play every day. So, you know, uh, put that myth to bed, please, people. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, getting back to the uh, to the till the dirt stuff, um, you know, stylistically, of course, you, you get to kind of have that creative Jones uh, fulfilled again in the sense that it it's nothing like – 
atheist at all. I mean, it's still it's still elements of metal, obviously. I mean, it's a heavy fucking album, but in like atheist, you explore multiple styles, both you know with the musical element as well as of course with your vocals. I think not a lot of people know that you yourself, sir. Uh, being the old fuck that you are, are actually <laughs> quite a talented vocalist and not just from Thank the you. screams and the growls, but also that you have uh, a really good clean singing voice that in and of itself is actually diverse. I mean, I hear elements Thanks. of, uh, there's some almost black metal elements to it. There's some death metal, there's some technical stuff. And then as you pointed out, I'm listening to it. There are definitely some, uh, I guess, nostalgic reminiscent artifacts of even like the Seattle sound. No question. Um, that, oh, yeah. uh... I love, love <laughs> Seattle. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I wasn't able to do those kinds of the kind of vocals on the till of dirt. I'm not a, I would never do that to the atheist. Yeah. Sort of legacy. You know I mean? That uh, there's a time and a place for it. And, and a lot of people used to, I mean, I've been singing for years and, and people that were familiar with one of my other bands, Neurotica mm -hmm. were, you know, there was just a, a real separation of those two bands and the two fans of those bands. And so I was, you know, I'm, you're right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that are gonna be like, who's singing on this record? And they'll be like, Oh, it's, it's the dude from atheist, you know? And, uh, that's a weird thing to people that don't, that don't know, but, but I love old Seattle. I love old Soundgarden and, uh, you know, old Alice in Chains and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think that that whole scene was really interesting. Tad and, uh, mud honey and all that kind of shit. Oh, I really love the darkness of it, you know, like the, 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 the sorrow of it. And, and, um, you know, there's just a really, uh, cloudy, you know, sort of a, Cloud, you know, I mean, you're there, aren't you, in Seattle? Yeah, I'm just outside of Seattle, but um, yeah, I'm. Uh... When I'm driving through Seattle, you feel it. You feel that community, like, oh man, it's like coming from Florida, growing up in Florida. Um, I know a lot of people used to say, "What's in the water down there?" You know, back in the day when it was obituary and all the, you know, Tampa Gators. Death Metal was a huge deal. <laughs> yeah, lots of them. <laughs> And people wondered, you know, why are all these bands coming from this small area uh, of Florida? And and I, you know, I think that can, sometimes that can happen. And Seattle, obviously, on a much larger level, um, had that community where they were all just, but, you know, coming from Florida and driving through Seattle, it's night and day in, mm -hmm. in terms of the environment. And, and uh, it just seems... Um, dank and, and cold and, and rainy and and it sounds like that music sounds like that so anyway yeah i really i can't get enough of uh you know old sound garden and stuff like that because it comes from black sabbath you know yeah and um and there's a lot of uh there's oddly i don't know whether you can hear that but there's a lot of black sabbath influence on the till the dirt stuff there's a lot of you know there's a lot of chunk but there's a lot of speed that i never used with with atheist and all blast beats and stuff that uh yeah that, you know really uh and but but I'm, I feel like one of the things that Scott felt was uh, that, that he was intrigued by was that I'm doing those kinds of, you know, um, Seattle-esque vocals or, or singing, you know, cl clean but not typically clean because there's a lot of kids that are screaming and, and singing. But I think, you know, hopefully you would agree that, it, that you know, there's a uniqueness to my clean voice. It's not your it's not a kill switch kind of clean. It's not a... It's a, it's a unique kind of clean. So if you, Matt, I don't know, the closest thing I, you know, we've uh, heard from people is sort of like Alice and Gothenburg, um, where where it's like a black, if Alice in Chains is a real black metal band, what would they sound like? You know, not that I, this is black metal lyrically at all or any of that, but by nature, my 
you know, my my high sort of screamy voice has always been sort of a la creator destruction, you know, those kind of I never had the deep cookie monster vocals. I never right. had those, you know, super deep. So um uh, but but once we sort of went away in, in 1993 and black metal sort of emerged, one of the main characteristics of black metal is that high witchy fucking mm-hmm. crazy scream, you know. So me coming back and doing that, I've always sang that way. So it sounds black metal to people. Yeah. So, but I really don't know that much about black metal. It's it's the, um, the combination of that plus some of the blast beats, plus there's some really cool uh, uh, phrasing with some alternate picking um that just has that that element to it and it's i would say it's subtle but i mean it's not really subtle but it's not like a, it's not a focus it's just it's there and then it switches it's very like atheist at, at the drop of a dime uh these songs can kind of switch directions on you and you're like what the fuck well, how did that happen where did this go I, yeah i, I, I mean by default that's just the way i like <laughs> I, I don't like to stay in one moment for from for more than you know 45 seconds i i do like to go but i listen i feel like i i i feel like you know as extreme as this is and, and as crazy as it is and there's a lot of really crazy moments it's very catchy yeah and um so typically when you hear blast in my opinion uh, when I hear blast beats, I get everything when everybody's blasting and there's no contrast, um, you know, where everybody's playing as fast as the drums. Sometimes it, for me, I just get kind of lost, especially song after song after song when people have the same formula uh, and bands that I've found in listening to modern uh, extreme metal. Uh, but again, when I sat down to write all this, I didn't really think about it. It was just like, oh, I, I like blast beats, but I don't like everything going fast with it so i cut the guitars into quarter time or or half time and the vocals are sitting on top of this madness but they're they're moving at a slower pace so your ear has something to hang on to while you're going 220 or 230 beats per minute you know and it turned out to be a it, it, it worked itself into a template and uh and it was one of the things that you know scott felt like was you know nobody was really kind of doing it like that right now and um so it felt fresh and different and upon playing it for some other people that that same statement kept coming back this is weird this is different this is so atheist was the same way but it was very difficult back then with atheist being different back then was maybe not as good as it is now (laughs) but till till the dirt is every much is is every bit as different as atheist was back in the late 80s to today's modern thing i think people listening to it will be like okay there's a there's a lot of new weird shit happening here there's a lot of rule breaking because you don't typically mix old school Seattle with black metal. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's not a, a, a typical thing. And, and if you do, you better do it really well. And otherwise, you know, you get the snub. So I'm hoping uh, we'll, we'll see what people think of it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm vocally, I feel like it's the best thing I've ever done, like um, in terms of songwriting and just performance. Uh, and it's, I literally did it on a handheld 58 you know, <laughs> and, and instead of, instead of in a, in a fancy studio in a booth with a mic, you know, the pantyhose on the microphone. And all that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. So it was just done. I just love that organic nature. I like that. It's, it's not perfect. I like that. It's, um, you know, that, uh, you know, there's, uh, mistakes abound, you know, in terms of, you know, when you're doing guitars, a lot of times in a fancy studio, you know, tuning is always like, gotta be, it's gotta be perfect. You know, and, and, uh, and when you're doing bendy notes, one of the charms of a bendy note, like some people will just take a guitar track and copy it four times and, and play it. And of course it'll sound like the, you know, the bendy note is exact, but when you have four different people playing a bendy note, they never play it exactly the same way. And there's a charm to that chorus that gets created that way. Um, old school Metallica, 
um, James Hatfield used to do all the guitar rhythms himself um, because he played with himself so tightly. He would do like, I, I want to say there was uh, eight, eight to 10 tracks of guitars on, um, on Ride the Lightning where he was stacking like, you know, four tracks per side. And in, in order to do that, you have, you know, especially when you get into fast picking, you really, really got to be tight, you know. So testament to, to James Hadfield is one of the greatest right hands in the game. Oh, yeah. You know? The fucking master <laughs> of down picking. Uh, no joke about that. But even even that, you know, when you when you stack guitar tracks like that, um, when you hear the chunky part of "For Whom the Bell Tolls," when it goes, zoom, 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 there's like a there is a a slight difference between each one of his tracks. As tight as he is, there's still a human difference, and and it creates this sonicness that's really fucking cool. And uh, so I, I I definitely leaned more towards that uh, rather than you know perfectness. But uh, yeah, I, I just hate that we're in this COVID period right now where I can't just lay this record out and and uh, get out on the road and support it you know you know it's it, everything's taking so long to, to to get rolling but um well i'm glad you brought that up because you know clearly i mean and and you were gracious enough to to send me some stuff to listen to which is awesome and you have one song out there which is kind of in demo format um yeah. for people to kind of take a listen to but you know so where are we at with with the album is it done is it just waiting on you know the yeah the album is done and um fortunately um extreme management group that that manages atheist uh were kind enough to take on till the dirt and so oh, wow. um so uh mark clopel and uh joanne gulo are, are uh shopping it uh to labels as we speak and well, that's what i mean about things moving slow i mean labels are just just hurting right now because of uh you know everything got shut down so there were records that were supposed to be coming out you know um and that that you know everything got backlogged so in the process of trying to make up for all that they can't possibly bring on new uh, new bands and new albums and so it's 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 running everything's running at a about a 15 month delay plus a lot of vinyl um a lot of vinyl They're outlets so are backed up huge shortages yeah it's yeah. like a nine month wait for so everything is just a, a mess man it really hurt our industry so bad and uh and I, I hope that um you know hope labels are able to recover and uh you know there was a period of time in the beginning where i thought maybe i would just put it out digitally but you know scott was like man that's a waste dude this is i feel like this is a really important record and uh and i you know i love him for saying that and because I'm, I'm glad that i did wait because uh sometimes you you know, a record needs to be a record. It needs to be done right. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time. This is one of those records. And even though it's a brand new thing till the dirt is, I feel like this record will be important because there's just a lot of things on it that, uh, that haven't really kind of ever been done. And, uh, and so I, I think it'll, and it'll open up the doors because metal is one of these fickle communities where, you know, some people can get away with having, clean vocals and and uh some people can get away with uh injecting you know one of the big things with atheists that people snubbed was having a jazz influence with atheists back right. then it, it, it people were confused by that uh these days it's a it's a standard it's almost a norm you, you better have some jazz chops in your technical metal or you're going to be out of gas you know but uh back then it wasn't that way but you weren't supposed to do that and um and you know we just didn't really give a shit that's what we liked and we we're huge fans of spyro gyro and then we we're huge fans of merciful fate and slayer and so just those two things kind of uh you know chikariel and mahavishnu orchestra stuff like that you know we loved sun rush you know yes things are played well and um so you know combining for me this till the dirt record feels very normal to to combine all those different 
elements, but I know that metal, some, you know, metal people can sometimes get a little squirmy when you do that, but I'm hoping that they'll hear it and, and hear the intensity of it and, and realize that oh, let me, let me inject some of that into, into my creativity. You know, let me, let me step outside the bounds a little bit now that somebody sort of broke the ice a little bit, <laughs> you know, uh, the mainly just the kind of melodies that I put over blast beats, I think is the most unique thing because blasting is typically like just raw. I mean, just, yeah. And, um, so some, some of these, some of the choruses, uh, well, there's, well, there's a song called who awaits on the album. That is, uh, one of my favorites and it's just a really perfect blend of I'm modern. Glad you metal. brought that song up real quick. I don't want to derail you, but when mm. you mentioned kind of the Lane Staley, uh, Allison chains vibe, that specific song, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say any song names on here, but yeah, that, that song for me captured that really kind of ambient old school uh, AIC vibe. Um, and I, I just, I really, really like that track. Cool, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm, that's one that's kind of a, um, a um, an example, a great example of the record as a whole. Um, but, but, you know, it's super catchy, but you know, the drums are just blazing and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, but you know, vocals are just kind of melting on top. Um, you know, and it's just a weird thing. Your ears kind of, uh, I mean, even me, it was almost third person for me because I was writing so quickly. I wrote all these songs in three months and demoed them all and, uh, in a three month period. Um, and, and so I was, uh, you know, I was already moving on to the next song, next song. And, and then when Scott came back, uh, when Scott came into it, uh, after the demos were done, and I, and we started going back into the, you know, which songs are going to be on the album and then having the guys record it all. Uh, I felt like I almost felt like I was listening. As a matter of fact, I still don't know the lyrics to to these songs. <laughs> I wrote them. <laughs> like I'm really struggling to to remember the lyrics. Like you know, it's that third person. It happened that quickly. So and that was kind of cool in a way, you know, because you know sometimes you polish turds. You know, I mean, you spend uh, a, too much time on a song. You know, I've never been a fan of that. I always feel like you know, spontaneously combusting. And when you're creating music is the best way, yeah. you know, because if you think about it for too much, then you start, well, I don't know what, the, you know, I mean, it's not honest. It doesn't come out as sure. honest, I think. Well, we'll, uh, we'll dig into this, uh, here in a little bit. Uh, but you know, just throwing this out there at you three months to do an album is still three times longer than you guys had to do elements. So, I mean, <laughs> you're well, used no, to... You have to, you know, you have to understand three months to write these songs, right. uh, you know, and, and record them. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, with atheist, we had a lifetime to write a piece of time, you know, I mean, we had our, you know, so, so, uh, but only seven days to record it. So, so seven days, seven days to record and mix piece of time. And then two weeks, 14 days to do, uh, to do um, uh, uncrushable presence. But then, elements as i've told the story a million times it was all written in 40 days and recorded uh, so that whole third album was um written recorded and mixed in 40 days top to bottom like from riff one to and that that is fucking crazy you that know is I mean? that was a insanity but it really is because there's so much if you listen to the record there's so much shit going on and, and uh but again back to that that philosophy of not thinking about it you know, just don't think about it. That's the same thing that happened with Till the Dirt. I had this really prolific period. We had that as a band back in 93. We got an apartment in Gainesville. We were hanging out with River Phoenix and Joaquin Phoenix, and we were just taking mushrooms and smoking <laughs> pot. And and, uh, and and we had the studio locked down. And we were ready. And, and so it was just so fun. That's all we did night and day was sit and work on songs. And, and we were able to go into the studio 
and record them right after writing them, which was really cool, you know, and uh, something that we had never been able to do before. So, um, you know, I've, uh, I always tell this story because it's kind of uh, important or it's, it's interesting. The, the song Mineral from the third Atheist album, Elements, uh, was less than 24 hours old when it, on the recording that you hear on the album. So anybody writing songs knows that you would you, you would never do that. You would never write a song, put it on an album for a band that's known. You know, it's our third album. It wasn't like we were a brand new band. Right. Uh, you know, you always take time to listen to it, send it around, polish it up, you know, do this, do that. None of that. We wrote it the day before and the next afternoon recorded it. And that's the version that ended up there. And it's 30, uh, 30 years next year, I believe, is the anniversary. And it's still in our set. Man. Uh, it's, it's in our live set. No thought of you know it was just literally boom. There's a song and and uh, and it came, and it came out so great. It's one of my favorite songs, uh, you know, out of all the atheist material. And uh, so it's interesting how sometimes that works out really good. Yeah. Whereas other times you spend, you know, I hear people talking about, oh, we've been working on this song for three months, and I think you should move on. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you can't think of what to say in three months musically, then you probably shouldn't say it. Yeah. Shelve it, shelve it, and come back to it later. Uh, yeah, that's always been my trick. Is like it's, it's not. I'm not feeling it. Put it in the vault, you know, and then dig it out of the it's vault a later on. Blood yeah. clot is what it is. You know, I mean, you got, you got to move on and, yeah. and, let the, and let the shit flow for sure. I mean, I think that's important as a writer. Or in my yeah. case, it's a musical kidney stone. That's, uh, you know, kind of, it's time to pass it, pass it with some mm-hmm. pain and get on with your life. So uh, there you go. I wanted to uh, ask you also before I forget uh, the name Till the Dirt. Um, I assume we're not talking about organic gardening here. So. Uh, so give me yeah, the give I mean, me the skinny I, I, I on that. I didn't realize. I didn't think about <laughs> even the the. Um, there's also a sort of a double meaning to it. For me, it's something I've always said. Hey man, I love you till the dirt, man. You know, um, we'll be friends till the dirt. You know, till we die is is essentially what I you know. Okay. The meaning of it. So I didn't I didn't even think about killing the dirt on a farmer level. You know what I mean? Like tilling the dirt, you know, or a grave digger would be tilling dirt, you know, right. I didn't think about those meanings of it at all. To me, it's, it's always been something that I said. And so it it made for a, a great band name. I thought anyway, because it's, you know, it's a part of my sort of uh, verbiage and, um, you know, because people are always, you still play music? And I'm always like, to the dirt, man. Fucking, I don't know any other way. I'll always play music till I die, you know? Awesome. So, but I can see where people would be confused by that. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what it meant to me. And, um, you know, just, uh, this is something that I'll always be doing until I take my last breath. You know? Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, with this particular project, obviously you've, you've gained some new ground. You're, uh, you're no, you're no stranger to a, a version from the public. So I think that you're prepared for whatever comes your way and you're going to do it regardless, um, you know, of what, uh, you know, Either Thick the skin I do have, yes. Uh, we've, you know, we've taken our shots to the face over the years, and uh, I gotta say, it's really nice in 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 um, in, in atheist land these days because it's uh, you know it doesn't have to be explained. When we play festivals now, there's a lot of you know, for instance, playing large festivals. The uh, the crew at these festivals are a lot of times old school metal guys, and uh, that comes in handy. You know, when you're when you're trying to get set up on stage and yeah. people know, you know, and have respect back you know in the in the early 90s it was just you know we just didn't have you know we just didn't have that respect we have anybody it's just nice to be sometimes it's nice to be old you know it's <laughs> nice to have been around for a while you know and have people 
talk about music and when, when you're talking about your music they actually understand what you're saying like i can you know with you i can talk about song titles and you'll be like you know what you know what i'm talking about that's a nice feeling you know as an artist you know to, to have that recognition and yeah um so there's you know some bonuses to being old <laughs> yeah there are definitely some bonuses to being old and there are bonuses to having conversations with awesome people who have been on the scene since the early days so we're going to take ourselves a quick break folks and when we come back kelly's going to spill the beans on what's going on over in the atheist camp but don't go anywhere because while we're engaging in some behind the scenes shenanigans i'm going to give you a sneak peek of one of the songs that will be on the upcoming till the dirt album now keep in mind this is the demo version of this song and not the final cut but because kelly is such a badass motherfucker he agreed to let us play it for you today so here it is the early access demo version of the title track off their upcoming lp this one's called outside the spiral
fucking killer. Even in demo form, that song kicks ass. When you guys hear what else is in store from Till the Dirt, your fucking heads are going to explode, like in scanners or a gremlin in a microwave or something. So, Kelly, now that we've talked about your new passion project, let's dig into what you're, of course, most known for, which is, of course, the one and only Atheist. Now, I know that it's been put out to the world that there's some new material in the works and the possibility of a new album was announced a few years back, and you got a tour coming up in February. What's going on with Atheist? Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of material written individually, but for Atheist, we've always written, um, th there's no way that we could do the record uh, the same way that I just did this Till the Dirt record. We right. have to be sitting in the room together. Steve Flynn and myself have always written that way since we were 16 years old. And um, and so that requires a budget. And so, uh, you know, in, in, in the spirit of doing a record, you, you sign a, a deal for, you know, and a label goes, okay, well, whenever your songs are done, um, you, you know, we'll send you the money, so to speak. And uh, so the label that we signed to um, a few years ago uh, had a problem with that. And, uh, you know, one wanted to do things differently and that created a snag for us. And because we just, you know, it's just not possible for us to do that. And, and, you know, a testament to season of mist when we did a record for season of mist, uh, when we did Jupiter, mm -hmm. uh, Michael Barbarian was, uh, a, you know, an, an old fan of the band and trusted us and, you know, wrote the check for, for the, for the album so that we were able to fly in and out because we all live in different places. We live 500 miles apart. Right. So in order to get together, it's, you know, it's a process and we got to, we got to have flights and we got to have a place to stay. And so that becomes a part of the, the, the budget for doing a record when it comes time to record, we're very efficient and we get that shit done quick and smooth. And, and so we're able to, you know, not spend a bunch of money sitting around the studio. So we, you know, we go in well rehearsed. Uh, but in order to do that, we, you know, we needed a, that process to happen and that didn't happen. And so now we're sort of caught uh, in, uh, in a small bit of a, a pickle with this particular label. And um, and so we're, you know, it's hard for me to get into grand detail about it just right. because of, uh, of everything. But rest assured that uh, there will be another Atheist record. Um, and we have a lot of material written. We just got to get in the room and, and put it together like a puzzle, so to speak. And and uh, and once we do that, uh, that'll be great. But so it, you know, kind of freed up some time to do this, uh, you know, this new new project, the new band. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to tour as much as we can with Atheist. So um, we had a um, we had a European tour planned for 2020, obviously that got postponed. Uh, and we tried late 2020, and that also got postponed. So uh, you know, 2021, we just knew it was going to be a, a. Actually, that's when it was supposed. To, I'm sorry, I got my years messed up, didn't I? Yeah, no, it sounds about right. Well, they, they lost the COVID year in there, so it's like, <laughs> I can't remember everything. 2020 is just a, a, a nothing. But so anyway, we're we're heading out, uh, starting in Copenhagen, Denmark, um, with Atheist headlining our first headlining European tour. Yeah, uh, it starts February first with uh, Denmark. Cadaver and From Hell, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah and Svart Crown as well. We're yeah. a really killer band um, from Europe, and. Um, Cadaver is, uh, to my knowledge, going to have Dirk Verburen playing drums um, uh, for Megadeth. Nice. Um, and to, I, I'm not super well versed on the history of them. I, Dirk's a great friend and, and an awesome guy, and um, but I guess it was his band before he joined Soilwork. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that, and metal historians can correct me online. But uh, so anyway, <laughs> to, to my knowledge, he's going to be on that tour, and that's going to be a, a fucking great time because uh, he's just a really good dude and. Um, so we're looking forward. There's a lot of, you know, it's a, a unique sort of um, set of bands, you know, uh, From Hell is also really interesting and um, 
you know, so uh, I think it's going to be a good bill. We're looking forward to hoping that, uh, you know, nothing, nothing comes up, you know, problem-wise. But right now it's looking like it's a full go. Uh, and then we're also getting ready to announce a, a U.S. tour in uh, late May, early June. Oh, and, uh, sweet. We're all, and we're playing uh, – one of the dates on that tour is uh, Maryland Death Fest. Nice. So we're, so we're playing on that, and then that's going to be great. That's, this will be our third time – yeah, third time playing Maryland Death Fest. And so anybody that's ever gone to that – it's a, you know, it's the greatest American extreme metal festival that we have. And uh, I wish we had more like it. You know, Europe is just this plethora of amazing festivals. I can't even tell you how many great festivals we, and they're just, man, it is just, you know, I, I can't believe that America hasn't modeled that more. I mean, but when you look at Maryland Death Fest, the, the list for for the next one, the, the amount of bands that are playing is sick. It's yeah. just everybody, everybody's playing it. I'm actually uh, kind of butthurt that, that Seattle doesn't have its own fucking metal festival. And, uh, Put I've it never, together, baby. I know, it's all on me now. Put I feel it, the pressure. Put it together, <laughs> man. Let it be a, uh, a, a misery, misery Point Radio thing, you know. Oh. And then get it started. It's got to be a lot of great talent still around there. But do you go out to bars much in Seattle? Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that I go out to bars per se for the sake of going out to bars these days, but I do like to go see some shows and there is a kind of a, a reinvigorated scene, uh, popping up here again in Seattle, which I'm, I'm glad to see. And, you know, a lot of bands are kind of getting reactivated and stuff, you know, uh, so that, so that's cool, but it's, it's not, not like it was, you know, back in the heyday, but um it's yeah that was lightning in a bottle man oh and, uh, man and, and and a lot of people you know died as a result of that art being created you yeah. know what i mean so you know it's 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 a horrible thing you know because uh you know I would, so many of those great artists are gone man it's just you know kirk's gone lane's gone um uh, just endless probably more people than you know that were equally as important. i mean andy andy wood from mother love bone uh -huh. just so many important people that if they were still alive would be so important to today's music. Yeah. And I hate that we have to just sort of rest on their their early creations. You know, I mean, a lot of these guys died so young. Yeah, and, Warl uh, Dane, you know, Sanctuary and Nevermore, yeah, all that fuck. kind of stuff. Uh, you know, Metal Endless. Church, of course. Uh, so, yeah. David Wayne. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, that's what I mean. There's just so many. I'm terrible. At, I don't want to leave anybody out, but there is a long list of super talented people uh, that are just gone from that scene that if still, you know, if they were still here, I would be, you know, they would be at the top of the list of music that I would want to hear. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and hear them create in their in their latter years because everybody was just, you know, just kind of cresting, you know. So, but uh, I, um, yeah, I wonder, you know, whether is is there still a, a huge drug scene there? Oh, the heroin, man. Is heroin you still know, an issue? It's funny. I, I, I did an interview uh, when Exhorter launched their new album just before, and so I sat down with Vinny. And we're, we're outside this coffee shop in downtown Seattle. And uh, he says to me, he's like, look at all that fucking heroin. <laughs> and I mean, it was it was a joke. But at the same time, you know, he's just like it was kind of sad because it is, you know, downtown is is pretty gnarly these days. It's not a place. that Ugh, It's not a place. Shame, that man. And it go. gets people and it just it, yeah. they can't get away from it. Yeah. But, you know, the, the art is undeniable that gets created from that sort of desperation. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a weird thing to say, I know. And some people will be uncomfortable with that statement, but, um, well, sometimes you know, tragedy spurs creativity. A lot of times, 
some of the greatest moments in art and, and painting and music have, have come at the expense of somebody else's life. You know what I mean? Uh, and you got to, you, there's a, you know, uh, it's interesting because people that never do drugs or never smoke pot, never take mushrooms, never do any, anything, uh, are drawn to, to music created by people who do. Mm-hmm. And, and why is that? So, you know, psychologically, I wonder, you know, is it, is it, is it living vicariously through, other people's darkness you know i mean uh, what why are people so drawn to bands that are so troubled and have so much darkness you know and uh not always but you know obviously pop music isn't quite the same you yeah know? i would say that applies more to rock music and, and metal um than than it does pop music because that's a whole different yeah know, i think uh sometimes people crave the unfamiliar you know they just want to they want a glimpse into the psyche of somebody else or, or they're drawn to things that maybe they know that they would not be able to participate in, you know, in their day-to-day life. Almost so. like porn, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not, I know it's an odd thing to say, but I mean, it's not unlike porn. Why are, why do people go to Pornhub and to these sites? Clearly they don't want to have those particular sexual escapades themselves in the bedroom with their wives necessarily. They don't need to dress up like, you know, cop and robber they don't need to uh you know women don't obviously need to be with five men at once you know but for some reason people are drawn to that um for whatever reason and i think musically you know people don't want to do drugs and heroin and smoke pot and take mushrooms and and do all these things but listening to music created under that influence they're all about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah right So it's kind of weird man you know and they you know and they get enjoyment from that first time ever in the history of misery point radio folks that we have a uh music pornography uh correlation (laughs) to share with the world, courtesy of Mr. Kelly Schaefer. Oh, so, leave uh, it to me, man. To thanks for taking us there. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, we got to wash our hands and move along. <laughs> I feel dirty, and thanks for hacking my browser, by the way. I didn't think anybody would see that, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so, well, getting back, though, to the uh, to the atheist stuff. Um, so we've got this material. Now, I, I assume at this point, though, nothing is really officially recorded, right? This is still kind of in the plan. No. I, I, let me back up a minute because I before before we did before COVID hit, um, I you know Steve Flynn, our original drummer, is um, not you know one of the reasons why we haven't years and you know compared to our contemporaries is because uh, you know Steve went to college and he has a sort of lives a, a, a professional life. He you know does a lot of traveling for his job and this and that. So he's just not sure. a, a touring guy. Right. And so we never ended up getting to tour a lot more than seven days in a row. So me and him came to an agreement a few years ago to bring in an understudy, you know, uh, which is Anthony Medaglia. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, um, I had met a guitar player named Daniel Martinez. He was playing in a band called The Offering, which are now signed to Century Media. Really killer band. And you should check them out. Have you ever heard The Offering? I have not. I'm writing it down right Holy now. Holy shit. One of the best new singers you'll, you'll hear. Like, he is a stunner. And, and, the, and the guitar player is just a monster. I can't say enough about them. So anyway, Daniel was in this band. I had a club at the time, a, a metal club called oh. Kelly's Live. And, um, and those guys came and played. And... Uh, 
he ended up getting, I don't know, something happened with his hand and, and those guys uh, kind of kicked him out of the band. And But he was a really amazing guitar player and uh, they weren't willing to sort of wait around for him to get better. Um, well, he sorted out all of his hand issues. And so when it came time to put together a new sort of lineup, because I wanted to get out and tour with Atheist, you know, I want to play, I want to get out and, and do this. So uh, I um, started putting together the, the sort of the new lineup. Now, uh, Chris Martin has been with us since 2011, so coming up on 10 years. Uh, tremendous guitar player, uh, you know, young guy, and, and, and just really, really amazing. I can't say enough about him. Uh, so, you know, obviously the real hard part is to find anybody to play drums like Steve Flynn. There's a lot of guys that are really fast and, and heavy and, and, and capable of all these things, but nobody plays quite like Steve Flynn. Right. And, um, and he just has a just a fucked up style, and, and it's hard <laughs> to find anybody to do that. And, uh, and also, he, you know, uh, I think we touched on this in our personal conversation that he, you know, we all the atheist stuff was never recorded to a click. Right. So it's, it's really this breathing organism of music. So, um, so anyway, long story short, we found uh, Daniel uh, is in Boston and um, he's a Berkeley grad. And uh, so he had a couple of friends, um, a bass player named Yoav and, uh, and a drummer named Anthony Medallion. Now they have a band called Graviton. Uh, from Boston, really cool thrash band, uh, and Yoav also is a singer for a Chilean band, and uh, so, but anyway, the, 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 just really great people, like really good human beings, and super skillful, um, and they learned all that, like I flew into uh, Atlanta, and met those guys for the first time, and we went on tour with Cattle Decapitation a few days later, like they did all their homework, and learned all the atheist material, and they they play it, and I, you know, I hate to say this because I know purists will be like, oh, there's nothing like the real thing. And yes, you're right. There's nothing like back in the day when Roger was alive and it was me, Rand, Roger, and Steve. Sure. You know, the original atheist. But pound for pound, you know, these guys are playing it. So they're playing this music so well that while I was on stage for the during the cattle tour in late 2019, I heard I've, the music felt different. I never heard it played quite that well. You know what I mean? Like there, there's moments that happen that we never quite got right as an, as, as the original members, <laughs> whether it was because somebody was drunk in the band or somebody was playing sloppy or whatever. These kids are like machines. And, uh, and I, I don't say kids, I mean, they're in their you know mid twenties so they're, they're children, but, uh, but just, I can't say enough about their, their attention to detail. And that's a huge deal with atheist material. So we were able to go out and, and play, uh, you know, direct support for cattle decapitation, which was really important for us because there's a lot of people that are cattle fans that have no idea who we are or who we were. And so we won over a lot of new fans and we were just, you know, really excited about this lineup. And, and, um, so that's the lineup that's, that's, uh, that we're currently taking out now to Europe. And um, I think people will be blown away by Anthony. I mean, not to mention uh, those same guys are the guys that, that uh, did all the tracks for uh, the Tilda Dirt. Tilda Dirt, yeah. Guys. Yeah. So, so that's a weird thing in itself, you know, um, you know, they're, they're, they're just monster players and, um, and because they come from that, that discipline of uh, Berkeley, um, you know they you know they're metalheads but they're like skillful brainiac metalheads <laughs> so you know they read and write music and i don't like i i feel like a dumbass like i don't they'll tell me uh yeah this is in this time signature and it's in this key and i'm like ah yeah i i don't know cool i mean uh if it is it is yeah I'm just I, I know what it sounds like and i know what i want it to you know i mean it should sound like it does on the album but i mean i've just never been i've never had I literally don't know what key I'm in when I'm playing. I just write riffs and, you know, you know, sometimes I'll know, I'll be like, okay, I, I know E and A and all that, but I can never tell you scales and all these things. I can never, 
break it down like that. But uh, it's interesting to watch these, you know, mid 20s something, you know, students of music uh, explain my own music to me. You know, uh, in 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 a uh, in a complicated term, you know. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. so yeah, so great guys. I can't wait to get them out. And they're just, um, you know, tremendous people. And we really had a, such a good time. And it sucks that COVID came and interrupted all of it. But really excited about getting back out with them. And they've never been to Europe, so they're going to be excited. And we're going to play our asses off, man. It's going to be great. And we're pulling out a lot of songs that uh, haven't been played in, in on stage in 30 years. So, um, because we're doing a headlining set, so we get to play a lot longer than we ever have been able to before. And um, and because, you know, Atheist uh, albums aren't very long, I think. Uh, yeah, half an hour-ish. Was, yeah, it's like a half an hour. Yeah. And uh, so we can pretty much almost play everything. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be fun, man. You guys I'm cram a lot into a half an hour, though. You know, for, uh, for people that are uh, uninitiated to the sound and the style of atheist uh let me prime you here this is a band that you can't sum up after listening to a song or an album like one time right you got to digest that shit you got to take it in kind of got to lube it up to the first knuckle and wiggle it before you cram the whole wrist up there it's uh there's just so much happening and i can only imagine that you know watching you guys because i've never seen you live but what you can get out of a half an hour's worth of material is fucking mind blowing. And I can only imagine with this new crew that you've uh, got put together uh, that it's not even more so at this point. Yeah. When I, when we first, thank you for saying that's very nice. And, 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 you know, there, when we first got back together in 06, um, you know, the, it was still really difficult to find guitar players, um, you know, that, that, that played everything sort of ran, you know, Rand Berkey's a unique guitar player and um, he experienced some legal troubles in the early reuniting of the band. Uh, so he wasn't able to travel. And um, so for people that wondered why he wasn't a part of the reunion and when we got back together in, in 2006, um, he, it was because of that. I mean, and anybody that travels knows that, you know, even if you have a passport, if you've got any sort of criminal shit looming any country can shut you down and if you're on tour you just can't have you can't have that happen you know um so uh so that's why he was not involved in it and you know that's his fault for doing it shame on him so uh but we had to you know move on and continue forward but there's a lot of i took a lot of lashings uh on social media about you know like i'm the one that prevented him from being part of it <laughs> and then just for the record that's not the case at all so uh anyway it's just you know these these guys uh you know, they play the solos, you know, Rand solos in particular, note for note. And uh, and then there's times that Rand didn't play his own solos note for note. So that's <laughs> what I mean by that, that we're playing. And, and listen, Rand, one of the most brilliant guitar players to ever play metal, in my opinion, just played upside down, left-handed, fucking alien. You know, um, really, really in his, in his prime, he was just tremendous. But uh, he would, you know, he would play, he would get bored. And in live, he would play different solos. And something that kind of always bothered me. And, and these guys now are playing the solos that are on the record. So I think that was another reason why standing in front of these guys while they're playing it, it felt like the best of these, these songs that ever sounded. And, uh, you know, after 30 years, a solo becomes important. Right. You know, uh, I've always, I hate when bands don't reproduce their solos. It's okay to change it a little bit here and there, but don't fucking, you know, don't change the entire solo just because you're not the guy that recorded it. You know, I hate that. So, uh, because they're important. Um, and Rand's solos were very important. So uh, that's something I think that uh, as, a, as a fan, listeners will appreciate uh, on these upcoming tours, hearing this music played perfectly. You know, uh, as perfect as live can be anyway. Uh, 
you know, so with attention to that detail, I think it, that also another thing is, you know, a lot of those songs were made back in, you know, the nineties. So production and quality of sound and everything is different when you're, when you're in a modern day theater, like, you know, some of the, some of the venues that were playing with, you know, state of the art PA systems, these songs that you've been listening to on, you know, on your headphones or on your vinyl for, for years, I've found people have come to me at the merch booth, like, holy shit, you know, like it just takes on another level because, um, you know, modern sounds with those riffs and the way those songs, you know, you got so used to listening to those records and then suddenly you're in a live setting where it's loud as fuck and the kick drum sound amazing and, and nothing is messy and muddy and it's just really powerful um the song the songs take on a new life and and i even felt it sort of on stage you know uh having not been on the road in a little while prior to that so uh, yeah i'm excited about you know taking taking these guys to europe and, and just playing these songs these songs are like old friends to me you know and i don't even have to rehearse like the lyrics are just woven into my soul so i never have to like go over and try to remember them or anything like that i as soon as the song starts playing, I remember the lyrics. But if you were to ask me the lyrics right now, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what they were until the music until the music is actually playing. Isn't that weird? It, it's not terribly weird. And I'll tell you what there, I, I have. <laughs> I have seen. It's, it's the Aussie factor too, right? Like that guy can't fucking talk and barely walk, but you put him up on a stage, and all of a sudden he's fine. Um, I've uh, seen lots of bands out there that now break out their phone and they're reading the lyrics off their phone while they're performing. And it's blowing my mind, and I'm like, oh my god, I don't know how I feel about that. But uh... I can't get with that. No, I can't get with that. <laughs> I, I, I think that that's, especially on a professional level, oh, any, 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 any national touring band doing that shit is that's that's out of gas. <laughs> but, uh, but but uh, I digress. Uh, so I'm curious though, if um, are you guys when you play, is there like a, a sneak peek of new material that you're going to play for audiences, or are we just not even at that point yet? Just not even at that point. Like I said, we've got I've got three and a half hours of riffs written and recorded, literally, and uh, some with drums, most with drums, ideas. But then I take them to Steve. But yeah, in all person. in demo format, still more or less. Right, and but they'll change. Uh, you know, they'll go 180 degrees different because again, Steve. You know, my drum loops and and drum programming is nothing compared to what his mind is. Is just weird. He'll take one riff and that I think is a straightforward riff and turn it into something fucking bizarre and then, and then become something else. So again, we have to get in that room, but once we get in the room, once we get past the, the litigation part of this and we get in the room, everybody's got so much material. And plus we have all these new weapons mm -hmm. in the band, you know? So when, you know, me and Steve oversee all the riff, you know, the, the riffs that are chosen for the songs, but knowing these guys, the way I know them, they, they have a, a you know, not only are they going to have stuff of their own, but more importantly, they're going to be able to things that I can't play that I can think of, I can mouth out to them and, the, and they're, just, they're just fucking amazing. So they're going to be able to play and even more, they're going to be able to take my ideas and make them even better. Yeah. Um, so uh, because I've, I've always been the least talented guy in, in any band that I'm in, in terms of mechanically <laughs> playing. I, well, I am. I mean, it's just, you know, mechanically guitar playing and, and as a musician, I'm the least talented guy in every single band that I've been in. And uh, and I'm cool with that. You know, I mean, uh, I, I like being around people that are better than me. Um, it makes me better. But what I do, my what I think I do better than anybody, most anybody that I've been in a band with is being able to write the songs, sew them together, um, you know, recognize, uh, you know, a riff for being, you know, taking it to where it needs to go you know and that's always been my thing so so every you know every band member has a different sort of uh 
level of input and everything. And while, so I have a bunch of riffs and stuff and I write a lot of guitar riffs and, uh, you know, sometimes I can't quite play what I want to play, but I can mouth it out to a person that can. So I can kind of play it to them, you know, kind of like this, but it needs to be way cooler. And and then they effortlessly, you know, blow <laughs> they it fucking out. whip it out. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll, I also recognize, you know, I'll always, when I roll up to rehearsal, I won't come in, I'll stand outside and listen to the guys warming up and playing the riffs, you know, and, and then I'll hear something. I'll be like, wait, 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 stop that right there. What? Oh, no, I've been playing that. I just fucking around. Yeah. Well, you're fucking around with something cool. So, and then next thing you know, it's in a song and, and, uh, and that, and that happened a lot with Jupiter. And, uh, so, so, so that's my kind of, my gift is, is to be able to recognize, you know, things that to fit into the atheist world really well and recognize talent and, 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 uh, be able to apply it to, to music. You know, I think that's my thing more so than being able to arpeggio sweep and fucking, Sure. And, I mean, there's these 11 year old kids that blow me away, you know, that playing guitar right now. I know. <laughs> Everybody is so sick. fucking good, man. It's <laughs> unbelievable how good um, kids in there, you know, 16, 17 years old, just crushing, just, you know, mechanically, but they can't write songs. You know, so that's a different, that's a different, I, that's something I hope that, you know, all the YouTube kids that are sitting on the edge of their bed and you're, and you're playing all, you know, all this tapping and all the seven and eight strings and all that shit is cool, man but you got to learn how to write songs, man. It's everything, you know, and if you really want to use all those skills that you have, uh, the most important skill is, is creating a song, you know, creating a song that people will enjoy, you know, or at least most people will enjoy. You don't always have to create music that people are always going to enjoy, but it, I guess it is a, it should be somewhat of a goal. Otherwise why release it? Yeah. You know? Well, you know, and your band atheist, of course, uh, as we talked about previously really is a band that's, first and foremost, based on, you know, quality musicianship. And you've always kind of been at the, I think, forefront of experimentation and technicality. So how difficult is it to continue to move in directions that are still musically satisfying for you? If you look at the kind of discography, you can say, okay, yes, this is atheist, but none of the albums really sound like the other albums. There's definitely just many new directions that, that you guys have moved into. I mean, with new stuff coming out, what is it you haven't approached yet? I mean, what, what, what are we going to expect to hear different out of you this next time around? Man, I, you know, that's a good question, actually. I mean, it's, it's never really thought of, you know, I mean, I think that's why all four records sound different <clears throat> and then, and they really do. And that's an important point that a lot of people don't sort of appreciate enough, you know, because I, I you know, it certainly wasn't uh, intended. It's just kind of the way we work again, sitting in the, you know, there was a long break. There was a 17 year break in between our, th our mm -hmm. third and fourth album. Yeah, absolutely. That's a long time to try to capture, you know, capture your, you know, what you do. I mean, uh, as a, you know, it's an entire generation almost, you know I mean? I guess, I don't know what a generation constitutes, but 17 years is a long fucking time. Yeah. So we didn't want to do a new record. And, and the guy at season of mist just kept for like three years, just like, got to do a new record. And I just kind of felt like, man, there's no way that we're going to be able to recapture that, that, you know, when we were kids and sweating in the warehouse, those are all really important things. And what we did is uh, I just, I flew to Atlanta and got some pot and, and went to it and we rented a, uh, a little, rehearsal place small just like we used to have back in the day except i had a little bit of ac because we're old <laughs> we need a little ac now fuck that and uh and, and sat there just like we used to when we were kids and, and and we wrote second to sun which is the first song on jupiter me and steve wrote that um we started writing it on his couch the beginning part the beginning part is actually timed out to 
I always get this wrong, but 198, it's like one, one, nine, eight, nine, two, zero, zero, five. So if you count the, the very beginning of that song, those breaks are kind of a, that would, you know, that was the first time we were writing songs. So we would kind of, uh, we were just talking about it and I was like, that'd be cool. We went like, but if you count that out, that's what it is. 1989 to 2005. That's how, you know, that's how long we had been together at that point. And, uh, and that's where that part came from. And then we went, we got in the car and we drove to that little warehouse and we put it together musically. And, and, uh, that was the first song that we wrote for, for that. And we just realized right then that the, you know, the magic is in, is in me and Flynn. You know, uh, Roger was obviously a very important part of that back in the day, mm-hmm. but we know we were so in tune with, you know, with w- what Roger's role was, like his philosophy, so to speak. He was a very simple guy. Like, you know, it's funny when people are gone, you know, and dead for, for three days. He's been, uh, I think, 30 years now. Um, he's been gone. But knowing him and growing up with him, he was he was the guy that bums cigarettes and he lived at his grandma's house and he didn't work. And all he did was play bass and he was real simple. And, and there was nothing calculating or, or, or brilliant about his, about his um, path. He just was killer. He was just a really killer bass player, just naturally uh, gifted, but just, he was your you Cliff know, Burton. Yeah. I mean, just his total stoner, like just, you know, you would never imagine him amounting to or making an impact on life. And I, and I, and I mean that as a term of endearment uh, to anybody listening. I certainly, I, you know, don't mean to be derogatory at all, but I'm just trying to paint a picture for the, because we've all known guys like that, that are just fucking good at whatever they do. And you can't imagine how they got, to, you know, how, how did you do that? You know, how did you get there? You're such a fuck up, you know, you, you know, you can't seem to hold a job or you can't seem to ever have a lighter for the cigarette that you just borrowed, but you just wrote fucking the opening baseline and piece of time like holy shit you know i mean uh he's just he would write things that would make us he was the the reason he was so important to atheists is because he would we would come to practice and he would say check out this riff and it would be you know even i deny is a song from our first album which is the first song i ever heard from atheists by the way yeah i uh borrowed a tape from a friend of mine back in the day i was really big into like creator and coroner and kind of all that stuff and i heard you guys and he's like, check out the song. So that was the song. I checked it out. I'm like, let me borrow nice. that tape. And I never fucking gave it back to him. So I don't remember if I <laughs> bought it or if I effectively stole it from him, but he never got that album back. And, and that was the the very first song I ever heard from you guys. That so was kind of the first moment that we stepped away from being just a normal, you know, in our own writing. We were still kids and, and we're writing for that before we got signed. Uh, you know, our, if you listen to the early demos, we really sucked. And, and it was real <laughs> messy and it's terrible. We included those demos on the reissues. Right. Just to show just to show how far we came in a, in a two-year period and um and because all we did as friends is hang out in this warehouse six days a week sometimes six to eight hours and just play and play and play and so we, we got better together you know we, we we grew together to where we played we almost didn't you know it's like we never played cover songs or anything like that so we were only just playing our material and getting better at playing our own material and it and inadvertently it, it it had its own style we just didn't recognize it then but um but he he was just uh he would you know the opening baseline of that song i deny i just i'll never forget it i just was like I, first of all how am i gonna how am i gonna play that with a pick you know, you're playing with your fingers and you're going boom, bada, bada, boom, bada, bada. and I was just like, that's never gonna, it's gonna sound weird. So I just was like, oh, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and that, that's where the orchestration sort of aspect of atheist started coming into play, where I started realizing, 
all right, everybody, you know, the best thing about it is that we're all playing something different. Right. So that, that to me was, was the, the light bulb moment when, and I deny and, and I, so it, it, but it came because of a disadvantage because I, I wasn't able to really play what he was playing. I couldn't play that fucking riff the way he was playing it and neither could Rand, uh, that I, that I found a way around it and that way around it ended up becoming the template for atheists which was everybody playing something different and meeting up every now and then throughout the, the three and a half four minute song you know every yeah. now and then we come together and blow, you know smack you in the face and then we we dip out in four different directions and everybody goes you know and, and then we meet back up again you know for other parts and that was that became the template and really we were writing songs back then really just to please one guy this guy named Bory Boy Crin, who uh who now runs Blabbermouth he was a guy who was the first guy that really heard us and, and heard anything in us that was that was promising, which was the drums. You know, Steve was probably one of the better, you know, things about our band in the very, very beginning that, that other people would notice. He was really, really good. And and um, when he started taking jazz lessons, that's when everything really started elevating. But we would write songs and record them on a cassette in our, in, you know, on one of those blasters, you know, those old school radios and send it, send it to him or play it for him over the phone. Or, and he would, he would get, you know, he would give us inspiration, so to speak. But he was, he did it through military drill instructor kind of love. So he would just talk so much shit about us. He was just a really unique character. He was a Yugoslavian New Yorker. So he had this really interesting accent, but he would just be like, I would call him and say, Hey, boy, I got a new song. And he would be like, shut up, you piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get all excited, Schaefer. You know, let's hear it. You know, and it was always belittling, but, but he was a brilliant writer. Like back then he, he's the reason why Sepultura got signed. He's the reason why, you know, he was just the ultimate tape trader. He had a, a fanzine called violent noise that was super, um, he would he didn't care who he was talking about if it was a slayer review he would he would rip it apart if it needed to be ripped apart and he was just uh ruthless that way so i knew and i love people like that because if i can make that person go yeah yeah that's fucking that's good what you got there is fucking good you know i just trusted his opinion and we all did and uh and he you know he guided us right on into a piece of time he got a job at a label and 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 gave us the money uh, from that label to to do piece of time. So, without him, there would have been no atheist. That's a fact. And uh, so I just had dinner with him on seventy thousand tons of metal uh, uh, just before COVID, January twenty twenty. And that um, yeah, you know he's married and uh, he's he's you know killing it with Blabbermouth. Obviously, it's a huge metal website. Mm-hmm tons of people in and out of it but super humble and he's an entirely different guy now but we were kids back then you know but he was really instrumental in so many you know obituary dsi and stuff but he was kind of he was really good friends with monty connor who was the guy that actually signed those bands and so he was feeding you know monty and case wessels and, and road roadrunner records basically you know bands that he was discovering you know and he discovered uh sepultura in brazil and and ended up, you know, turning Monty onto it, and you know, and then Scott Burns ends up, you know, ends up producing the record. And, but I mean, Sepultura back in the day were as big as Metallica in Brazil. Yeah, and uh, and massive. speaking of them, you you had told me a story off air that you had a hand in uh, a song with them, correct? I did. I wrote a uh, "Stronger Than Hate." Yeah, uh, from from beneath the remains, um, the lyrics. Um, we. Uh, you know, in the early days of Sepultura, they d- didn't speak English as well as they do now, or Max in particular. And um, 
Scott, when Scott came back from Brazil from tracking that record and they were mixing it at Morris Sound, he just was like, hey, man, can you write you write a couple songs with the lyrics? And, the, the, you know, we're running short on lyrics and you know, Max, the language barrier and everything. So so I did. I wrote a couple of things and uh, Stronger Than Hate uh, was one of them. And, um, yeah, so ended up on and I and got to go up, you know, got, went up to the studio to sort of help him with some of the words and, and the pronunciation, but you know, the intention of the pronunciation, so to speak. And, and, uh, and then while I was there, John Tardy uh, from Obituary was, was hanging out. And uh, so me and him ended up doing backup vocals on that song as well. But of course we all know that John Tardy didn't write lyrics back in that day. So I'm sure that uh, <laughs> I love John Tardy's vocals so much. And I love oh, the fact that he's like, I didn't even fucking need lyrics. I just made my shit sound like my shit, and he owned it, and it was still so one of my awesome. top three fucking uh, you know metal vocals, just pound for pound. Him and Corpse, yeah, you know those guys are just they're so authentic, and they're still <laughs> so good at it. And uh, but yeah, Tardy's got some lyrics now, but um, but yeah, maybe back in the day, man, all that, all that shit. But I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people that don't even know that. You know, fun yeah. facts that old guys can tell you about fun. listeners. <laughs> There's a new obituary book coming out, by the way. So I'm sure that everybody will, uh, yeah, they'll, uh, I'm sure they'll explain all that. Uh, yeah, everybody, uh, you know, Sean Reiner from Cynic had the best uh, John Tardy impression. But almost everybody, it's funny, in, in, in the band world, not everybody, but a lot of people have a Tardy impression. <laughs> yeah. So if you're ever backstage at a show, be like, do you have a John Tardy impression? <laughs> you know, because he has such a distinct. <laughs> oh, it's so distinct. And yeah, I love that. It, it will, and there's so there's a sonic signature, right? That I, I think a lot of bands, you can listen to a note or two notes or a phrase or whatever. And there, there's just that certain, even if you've never heard any of their other stuff, you can say, okay, cool. I know that's obituary. Okay. I know that's, you know, whoever it is. Yeah. I think atheist has, especially, uh, after unquestionable came out, kind of became identified with that style. That's not really a style. It's its own signature. And, uh, I, I think that's pretty remarkable. Oh, thank you. I, I think, um, there's a lot of, you know, it gets a because of what we went through back then, and you, you and I touched about this off off um, show a little bit. Um, you know, there's a there's a discrepancy on where sort of technical metal comes from. Right. And it wouldn't it wouldn't normally bother me. It's just that we went through such great lengths to, you know, to to you know, so we went through so much criticism. I mean, Krang, I wrote. You know, uh, they sound like grown men caught in their own guitar strings uh, they're so technical they're up their own ass um well this band sounds confused um you know just t tons of really shitty things that, that people wrote and we fought through that and fought through that and and you know 30 years later they were wrong <laughs> you know you were fucking wrong you know and, and uh so you know when when people tell the story of technical death metal and and just recently obviously yesterday i saw um death's record human it was the 30th anniversary of that record mm -hmm. yesterday but a lot of people need to keep in mind that unquestionable presence was pretty much written well before 1990 well before it came out in 91 all oh, right so uh and so you know we really were the you know we were the first band to kind of really start doing that cynic cynic being the second band to really come out uh in extreme metal and, and incorporate those kinds of jazz things cynic was always more um uh, a jazz band with a lot of metal overtones and we were a metal band with jazz overtones. Yeah. Polar so, opposites, I would say is how I would define that. 
but we were great friends. You yeah. know, obviously Tony Troy from Cynic ended up playing on Uncrushable Presence. So we loved each other and as as friends and and we, you know, when we met the guys in Cynic, we had already done a piece of time and we were already moving into writing. Uh we'd already immediately as soon as we got done with piece of time, we started writing for Uncrushable Presence. So a lot of that material was written for a while. We just were playing sure. it and uh and, and touring. But uh and so then we met the guys in Cynic and then I went in with them to, uh the very first time they went into Morrison with Scott to do their uh demo. And uh, and send it off to Monty Connor at Roadrunner, well before they actually signed it. But but anyway, it, it really was for the record. And I, as a music historian, I'm I'm a big fan of reading about you know the pecking order of things. Like where where did Leonard Skinner come from? You know who were they into? Like who were the Beatles into? Like who were the Stones and like where did they get? Where, where did that come from? You know, I mean, uh, and I love you know, and I like it to be accurately told. And I think that you know, after thirty or forty years of of our underground metal, sort of all you know has come, you know, has survived now has its own history. I think that people, you know, the books are always written incorrectly, and they're always written that you know, technical death metal starts with death, and uh, and it just doesn't. It's just not, it's an, un, it's an unfair, it's not to take anything away from death or anything like that. And so a lot of people will be mad at me for saying this, but I mean, uh, it's important to, to know that, uh, you know, death did not start off as a technical metal band, you know, um, and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and maybe it's not important to a lot of people, but, but, you know, I think anybody tracing the history of, you know, the origins of things would want to know that uh, death actually started off as a really basic band. Same with Gorguts. Gorguts was, you know, uh, very simple compared to how great and amazing they turned out to be, you know, um, but to, to, to hang the hat on, you know, the origins of technical death metal, of jazz infused death metal, um, you know, you got to tip a hat to atheist, man. You got to, oh, you, yeah. you got to recognize that, that, uh, that, that was a really lonely street corner back then. <laughs> so it's a little frustrating to read people say, you know, um, there, you know, this is where it all begins, and and we, you know, just kind of get left out of that conversation, and that's that's frustrating as an artist, you know. Sure. Not to be all end all, but it would be nice if some, you know, old metal writers would set that record straight a little bit and just do the math, you know, and just look at the, you know, what records came out. And I, I can go on to say that we certainly didn't invent anything. We we were the first ones to start doing things in the extreme world like that. But in the thrash metal world, Watchtower was well before us, you know, and Watchtower was so, was fucking super technical. Like have you ever heard of Watchtower, Rick? You know, m m maybe many people haven't, but Holy shit, you know, they, and we loved Watchtower. So that's where we were really inspired. We were like, okay, we love Rush and yes and all that, but, and we love jazz and Chikoria and Spyro Gyro and all that. But, um, you know, we hadn't heard anybody sort of, apply that iron maiden was the most progressive thing you know we learned a lot from iron maiden about songwriting you know and, and steve harris and the way he wrote songs and so um you know we loved that to hit their technical ability but when we heard watchtower we were just like wow it was insane it was really not it was hard to remember it and but we were intrigued by it roger loved it roger loved that stuff so much so that he was buried with a picture of doug kaiser oh shit. Um, a picture of him and doug kaiser in texas that happened three weeks prior to that photo, you know, he died three weeks later from that photograph and he was buried with that photo and his base. And, and, uh, we actually asked Doug Kaiser to play on Unquestionable Presence because Roger loved him so much. So, so I guess my point is that, you know, when I say that about, no, you know, people should, you know, 
people should recognize atheist as, as being the start of it and not death. It's not, it's not being a whiner. It's just being accurate about things. And, and also looking back and, and, and tipping our hat to bands like Watchtower that inspired us to incorporate those different styles into uh, extreme, you know, more extreme because atheist is obviously more extreme than Watchtower. You know, Watchtower was a power metal band with tons of fusion. <laughs> you know, uh, but they had a, you know a very high singer, Alan Takeo and and Jason McMaster. You know, and uh, that was something that we weren't really into. You know, we weren't really into those kinds of vocals. Uh, we preferred the you know the grovelier creator type shit. You know, we were into that. So, but yeah. So anyway, uh, but uh, but you know. That's um I I've always you know I've always loved to you know when I hear Deep Purple I think where where did that come from, you know who was playing an organ and inspired like Zeppelin too you know like, but then you know when I hear all the old blue stuff because Zeppelin was almost a cover band in a way, you know I mean uh, like a lot of the songs that they're known for are not their songs, <laughs> <laughs> you know they're like old blues guys you know did them uh, the first but. Uh, you know, they just took those songs and made them Zeppelin-fied and, and, uh, and ended up being, you know, staples in, in my musical diet, you know? I think that there's a, a phrase that I've thrown out uh, millions of times at this point, and I've had this conversation with more people than I can remember. But at some point, I mean, a truly original thought is very hard. Everything is derivative of something else at some point. I mean, sure, there's yep. always a, a catalyst for a new idea or, you know, something that sparks it, right? Like a whole new Big Bang theory, if you will. But, you know, you, you, get, you gather inspiration and sometimes it's subliminal. Sometimes you don't even know it. You hear a song 20 years ago and then the melody pops into your head when you're, you pick up your guitar and all of a sudden it leads into something else. So and also if you throw into the fact that a lot of times with musicians who are around each other or, or whatever, but things get written and then they don't get released sometimes for a long time. So, you know, what people hear is, is not, you know, the origin of it. it. It could go back years, you know, by the time somebody hears it. So, you know, when we were, when we were out with Gatto, a lot of kids would come to the merch booth that they were just discovering. So they would be like, did you guys just get together? Like, are you, are you, are you a new band? Like, <laughs> oh, we were a new band. I just blew my fucking mind because I was like, come on you know i mean you got you got to recognize it but they were sincere they literally had never heard of atheist and and just thought we were this brand new band that was in direct support for cattle and they were like fucking holy shit you know that, that it was crazy and so uh and, and you know it kind of worked out that way for us when we reunited in 06 and went and played uh Vakken and hellfest and all these large festivals in europe um i think i told you off air that i you know we expected a bunch of sort of older guys or older people, older fans, and it ended up being a lot of the young kids that had discovered because of the internet. And that was in the early days of, you know, Google and, and, and YouTube and all that when it was just first kind of, you know, people were starting to upload a lot of content and, mm -hmm. and, um, and they discovered those records and, and, and it made sense for them, according to them, you know, uh, hearing bands like Dillinger Escape Plan and, and, and bands that had sort of carried the torch on into more technical realms you know i mean bands really took what we did with atheist and you know took it to the moon <laughs> you know they're way i mean a band like animals as leaders is way more technical than any atheist record you know um pound for pound in terms of technicality and they're just way more way more talent these days than than we were sort of up against back then but you know the that's why it's kind of important to know where things came from so that you can so if somebody's hearing atheist for the first time today they may not be as impressed 
with a, you know, with the technicality of atheist only in the way that we're doing it. Right. Um, which sounds different than today's technical. So in other words, you know, back when we used to, when people listen to um, I Deny, for example, the song that we were talking about, mm-hmm. that used to be, that used to be, you know, those kinds of bass drums and bass playing used to be like, whoa, that shit is fucking, you know, that's busy. But compared to Between the Buried and Me, that's not busy at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fa- faceless, you know, I mean, the faceless, yeah. uh, Obscura, you know, these guys are just like, there's just wizardry all over the place. Um, so, so that's when, when, when we got back to do Jupiter again, one of the biggest things that me and Steve sort of agreed on was, you know, we're never going to be more technical than these kids today. Right. You know, we're, we're just never going to, we're never going to outdo them and, and who wants to, you know, uh, I, we, we just want to do things the way we do things and hopefully it'll still matter to people. And, and it did on some level, it took a lot of, it took people the same amount of time to get into Jupiter as it took them to kind of swallow atheists because uh, again you know we didn't we didn't get popular until well after we were broken up you know or, or, or appreciate i shouldn't say popular because i don't think we've ever been popular but uh but appreciated on the level that we're appreciated at now um and when jupiter came out i mean you know there was a lot of people that were like uh you know old the old school fans were actually they got it right away but new people i mean there were people that wrote reviews that said uh well it sounds like kelly's been listening to to uh mud vein and i'm thinking what and like how fucking dare you you know like you honestly think that i'm sitting i'm like i, I couldn't tell you a mudvane song <laughs> like that yeah that's where i get my sounds like these guys listen to mudvane that's what one of the reviews said you know come on do your homework dude you know i mean like and, and, you know we've, we've sounded like this all you know the thing that the old school people recognized was holy shit there's atheists and a whole new batch of atheists it sounds like atheists you know uh, only with modern production which was another correct you know, people are like, well, you know, with the modern production, it's just not the same as unquestionable presence. Well, of course it's not. You know, I mean, it was 30 fucking, they're 28 years ago, or however, 20, 20 years ago at that point. Um, you know, I mean, uh, and, and what are we going to do? Go back to um, shittier mics and, you know, <laughs> worse guitar amps, you know, I mean, to, 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 to make it authentic for you. And then people were like some band called Gorod. Oh, I don't know who the Gorod is. I still don't know who they are to this day. But on a couple of occasions in interviews, people were asking if we listen. I was like, listen, we don't, we don't sit around and listen to what we want to sound like. We literally do not do that. That is just that's real, you know. And we just go in and play the things that we like to play. And and um, you know, if if an, if an inadvertent if, if an influence comes in, it's probably it's definitely not any modern metal because we don't we just don't listen to it. I mean, the only time we hear it is when we're touring. <clears throat> you know, my my tastes are are I don't listen to extreme metal. I just don't. I love you know I love a million different kinds of metal. But I I uh, you know every now and then I'll hear something I'll be like, well, I really like that fucking band a lot. And uh, Animals as Leaders was one of them. I was like, ah, fucking a. That shit's awesome. There was no grovelly vocals over it, so I could just effortlessly listen to it without Cookie Monster shit over it. Do you think, uh, in the sense of people that are really appreciating your the atheist music today, are going to be the the older generation of people that grew up with, say, that style, or do you think that really your fan base today is people that are just now kind of finding your stuff? It's a little of both, man. Yeah. Um, and and that you know, I really didn't. You know, I really didn't expect the, you know, modern metal kids to be as into atheists as they are. But I think also we touched on this off air that there's an element of the way things were recorded back then to, to the way that things are recorded now that I think your ear, these young kids have been listening to only, you know, only these really crisp, super um 
AI and sort of computer versions of, of metal where the bass drums are so perfect and they're, they just don't sound like if you listen to the double bass on Rain and Blood compared to any modern really fast band, you know, like let's say the Faceless, use them as an example, you know, the, the, the way drums are recorded with triggers and it just makes everything sound super clean. And you listen to Rain and Blood, and you can still hear the bass drums, but you're hearing two different, they're not exactly the same. Each bass drum sounds just a little bit different. And that's the way, that's the school of metal that we came from and the way things were recorded. Double bass was recorded that way back then. There weren't triggers. Right. So, you, you know, these days, so anybody listening and is confused, um, you know, each bass drum, uh, you know, I guess I can't, I guess at, at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is that things, I think people listening to only modern metal have dipped back into old school and inadvertently gone, well, this sounds different to me. Well, it's because it is, it was recorded analog and it was, and those are performances instead of pieces of things stuck together. And um, so I think that that, um, you know, I don't know whether I'm surprised that modern kids are, are, um, I was surprised that they were into our music, but I think that's why it is. I think that they're they're craving the non-perfectness. Yeah, you know, and and then that's the you know the old productions were really raw and grimy and and uh, and um, rough around the edges, whereas everything is fucking perfect these days. So <laughs> you know, like you know, any any band can record a record now, and it just sounds like what used to cost a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and um, but if you listen to an old Celtic Frost record, I mean the production's terrible. Oh yeah, it's bad. But you've never heard another band sound like that. I was listening to Old Venom the other day, and um, it's just so reverby and so like big, (laughs) big roomy. I guess is how I would say. Hello Waits is the same way. I listen to Hello Waits, and I'm like, God, I love this record so much. But Jesus, but it, but, but that reverby, that you know, Show No Mercy is another one. You know, those sounds, the way it sounds, immediately brings me back to being 15 years old because of the reverb, because of the way it sounds. So even though it's not like, you know, it still sounds good to me, and like, you know, what I mean, it, but it's, but it sounds specific. Yeah. And uh, the, and I listened to those records so many times growing up, and I think that's maybe what happens with Unquestionable Presence and, and Peace of Time and, and all of our records, really, other than Jupiter, uh, the old records, um, are you know, people just. Uh, you know, there's a uniqueness to them. So for all the the things that are sort of considered wrong by today's standards, the way those were recorded, uh, those are the things that I think a lot of modern young metal people are kind of reverting back to because they're getting exhausted with the the exact same sounding bands, the same sounding bass drums. The because you know back in the day as well, you know everybody had double bass, but everybody was different. You just do an obituary double bass sound, and it's one way. And it, you listen to Morbid Angel, and it was another way. <clears throat> you know, and when Pete Sandoval, you know the way he played drums compared to the way that uh, Lee, Lee Harrison, yeah, played. I was just thinking that. Yeah. So you know, and but they're we're all using similar things, but everybody had a different. But now everybody's drums sound the fucking same. You know, a lot of them. I mean, you know, unless bands recognize that that's the case and they try to do what they can, you know, the the uh, the the sampled kick drum, while it's clean and it sounds tremendous and I love it and I'm all about it, it's just, you know, it's just not the same as it used to be. So I don't know. Maybe maybe people's ears are, are you know, every now and then they just need a little bit of organic old oldness, you know. And they're and I'm glad and and we're fortunate that they that they are appreciating it. But yeah, we see a lot of two and three generation gaps at our shows you know uh, really young kids 13 14 um people in their early 30s and then the old school dudes 
So it's kind of kind of cool. That's awesome. Multiple generations uh, appreciating the awesomeness, and so the industry has clearly changed um, as as it was destined to, of course. So technology is different. Uh, everything about how albums are made, how they're distributed, you know, how they're paid out, how they're produced, everything is just so different. But uh, what is it about it then that just kind of keeps you going after all this? I mean, is it still fun to you or is it just something that you just, oh, you just the, know how to do it? That's all I want to know. It's all I want to do every day. I, I, I want it. I, I, you know, I write so much that I, I tell my wife, I, I was like, I wish I could create, like, I literally have so many riffs. Like, you know, I wish that I could write for other people. You know I mean? I wish that was a thing in metal. You know I mean? I wish that it could be like, Hey man, here's 10 riffs use them at will. I'm never going to have enough time to make the records for the amount of material that I have. You know, so I almost thought about creating a data bank with riffs, um, you know, um, recorded to a click that anybody can license and use. And if you can create a, create a song out of it and good, good for you. You know what I mean? Um, I, I literally have that much music. And so I, um, I know that I'm not going to live long enough to, to be able to put these all into songs and records. And so I would love for other people to do that, but yeah, I, I do. I, it's my favorite thing in the world to do making music and just being around it. And I was at the Gojira show the other night and, and my wife just looked over. I mean, I know she could tell that I was just, Oh man, I'm in my element. I'm here. It's just so fun. I love the smell of it. And the, you know, the, the combination of weed and pizza and sweat <laughs> and metal and, I just love it, man. And, and uh, I think that uh, I, I can't imagine my life without it. And so I, I, I think it'll always be that way for me. Now, are there moments on tour that I wish were different? Certainly. I fucking hate riding, you know, long distances down the road. I miss my family. I wish that I would, I wish that uh, I always look at people like Metallica and think, God, it must be so nice to just bring your whole family, you know, because I mean, all day, there's nothing to do. You know, the, the, the action happens for an hour at night. And so if you can have your family with you, then it's the best of both worlds, especially if you can have your own bus. And then you get to travel around and show the kids all over the world, you know, free travel. It's the best education you could ever give your kids and, your, and the best gift you could ever give your wife, you know, to just travel all over the world for, at somebody else's expense and, and have fun and play and, uh, you know, go to festivals, meet tons of different people around the world. And, um, I, I, you know, my, my education level is always, I mean, I have a 10th grade education on paper. Um, you know, I quit early 10th grade. So it's funny when people talk about education, I've met a million people with, <laughs> with college degrees that, you know, uh, they can barely put a sentence together. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I think, man, oh man, you know, I mean, and when, when people ask me, like I'm, you know, over the years had been deprived of opportunities because I don't have a, a high school diploma, but I will sit in the room with an intellectual all day and I'll find I can find a conversation about just about anything. And if I don't know about it, then I will ask the right questions to find out about it. And just always been that kind of person. So, you know, education is this thing, you know, unless you have this little piece of paper in the frame, then you're not considered, you know, an, an, uh, intellectual in any way. And uh, that's just not the case. And traveling was really what did that for me, asking questions of people that live, you know, seeing other cultures, seeing how other people live and, and uh, you know, and what's important to them and their attention to their own country's history. Uh, you know, I just remember being in Romania and, and sitting backstage and having in-depth conversation with uh, with fans, metal fans about you know, they were teaching me about Romanian history and, and you know, Transylvania and, and all and all. And I just think, 
the American kids just don't do that, you know. Dude, what's up? You know, it's that's the the backstage banter in an American show. Like, hey, bro, what's up, man? Fuck, dig it. Those killers, killers. I mean, it's never like, why did you vote for George Bush? Why does your country have George Bush as the president? <laughs> or uh, why is you know? I mean, like questions like that, I get asked all the time. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't vote for him. I, I don't know, but it's interesting that you asked that. And you don't look like you would ask that kind of question. <laughs> and uh, the next thing you know, they start rattling off all kinds of knowledge and make me feel like one of those stupid Americans, you know, that that doesn't. I really don't know. They know more about my country than I do, you know, in many cases. <laughs> but when I saw that, it made me want to learn more about my country so i went back with the knowledge that i have now and so pointing out my my and I, you know my inability to know american history as much as i should and somebody from another country that didn't have anywhere near the same opportunities that i have have that much more knowledge about my country made me want to be more educated about things and so it inadvertently kind of made me a smarter person but not to mention if you if you grow up in uh, a, a little town outside of Tennessee and you never leave that town, how can you possibly, and even though you go to college, you get a college and get a degree, but you never leave that town. Um, you don't, you can't possibly be able to, you know, have empathy for, for people in the proper way or sympathize with people and, and what other people, how they live, what they go through, what it's like to live in the city. Um, you know, so having an opinion on ways of life is not really valid unless you've been there. Like in a lot of ways, you can never imagine what Mexico is like until you go there. You can never imagine what South America is like. Holy shit. You know, it's like another planet and then you go to norway and it's another planet i mean just completely different and I'm just blown away by like sweden and norway just how different that life is compared to the life that i had in florida you know growing up and what what made that kid wrapped up in a jacket and a hat freezing his balls off discover an atheist cd and, and <laughs> find, find a liking in that you know looking at our picture in shorts and you know in a tropical paradise and and think I can relate to that. Like, why do why you know why would they do that? So I you know I I just love traveling. It's the best. So I'll, I'll uh, hopefully always have the opportunity to do it till the dirt. Till the till dirt. There you go. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna wind this down here in a couple of seconds. But what I want to get from you: top five albums of all time. Oh Christ! Put you on the spot. Shit. Oh, it's I have a problem with the best, you know, because it's like. Oh, not the, the best, best or, just the, your the best or win. Oh, yeah. Top five, like five albums that I would have to, if, if, if I could only have five yep. to, to live with. Well, Rain and Blood's definitely going to be one of them. I'm glad you said that. Uh, yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> um, Ride the Lightning. Okay. Um, I got to have something weird and avant-garde, so I got to go with, um, oh, man. I'll go with Mahavishnu Orchestra. The, the, um, I can't remember the name of the album. Uh, Chip, I always mess it up. It's my favorite album, but I, I don't listen to it. I don't look at the album cover anymore. I just listen to the songs. But uh, but that's a weird. So that would be my. Oh God, it's so hard. Five, there's so many. Because there's modern ones that I would like. Jeff Buckley, Grace. Okay. It's a fucking really really important record to me. I just think it's amazing. Um, and oh, it's a toss up between Bad Motor Finger and Dirt. Oh, get some Seattle yeah, I mean, stuff like, in there. Know, yeah, well, those are really, I really love those. Like, those are records that I really love listening to all the time. Like, if I, I'll never, if somebody says, I'm going to put this on, yeah. Well, it's called I'd a tie. To, you know, okay, we'll call it a tie. Am I good? <laughs> and is that five? Those, are, those are Kelly's top five right now 
in this moment, destined yeah. to change tomorrow. But uh, that's catch, catch uh, me after a couple of shots, and I'll have a different view. Man, I love Pink Floyd. Uh, no, man, those are those are awesome. I just uh, I put you on the spot intentionally. Just wanted to see what was at the top of your head. So uh, so that's always kind it's of hard, fun. it's hard to not pick you know to pick something that isn't metal because there's there's five that are not metal that I could easily pick. Um, you know that I feel are important that I would if I was on a desert island I would want to have too. So. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, it's always impossible to, but the, you know, I always see people's, you know, opinions. Well, this band is better than that band. It's like, the, it's just, art doesn't work like that. Nope. You know, it's a, definitely not the case. I mean, uh, you know, I always felt like, um, you know, ACDC was one of those bands, you know, like you can, sure it's very simple, but it's very important. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, their, their simplicity is what kind of makes, that's what obituary is kind of like the ACDC of, of of uh death metal yeah like you know what you're getting with obituary like you it's they they and that's the way we like it you know i mean they have that guitar sound is the same tardy's vocals sound the same and and uh you know they they chug with the same template over the years and so you always know what you're gonna get absolutely and, uh, same with acdc you know you always <laughs> know what you're gonna get <laughs> so now that we've got a tidbit a taste of uh, of those albums what is one thing that maybe somebody doesn't know about you that you'd like them to know about you? Uh, I'm a painter. Oh. Yeah, I paint. I paint portraits, and, um, yeah, I've done it. If you look on my Facebook, you see uh, a whole, you know, probably 150 different paintings. I I prefer painting what I want to paint, but I am able to sell um, sort of a weird sort of uh, portraits that I've done. I, I did a, I sold one of uh, Chuck Schuldiner actually, oddly nice. enough. Um, and uh, I thought about doing a series of contemporary metal heroes. You know, I thought it would be interesting to have a, you know, a guy that, you know, has also been around a long time in metal paint other metal guys from my era. You Dude, know? that's awesome. That'd be, that'd be a cool series, you know, that I would probably be able to, to sell. And are these <laughs> portraits like that are there there with you or is this stuff you're working off of from another media? <laughs> Um, no, I usually, uh, you know, people will commission, uh, like, oh, I want a Freddie Mercury or, uh, or Frank Zappa and, uh, and then I'll find a cool picture that I like. And I do it in a way I'm left-handed, so I can't paint, I can't paint in great detail, like Aloran Cantor, you know, or anything like that. I, I can't, uh, so, uh, because I'll smear it, you know, when you're, when you go when across, yeah. it smears as you're going across and you're right-handed, you're able to do it. So anyway, I do it in a, uh kind of a hard tones, you know, like hard, yeah, it's hard to explain, but, but, um, but then I also do abstract stuff as well that I, I prefer, but anyway, I guess that's what I would want to know is that, you know, that that's my outlet when I can't make music for some reason, I love painting. And, uh, and, uh, I think that, uh, that's a, I think everybody should paint, even if, you know, you don't really have to be good at it necessarily, um, to get the satisfaction out of it, but it's really therapeutic in a lot of ways. I just happened to, I went to art school before I started playing guitar and um and i um was just blown away at the the guy that was i was in a performance art school and the guy that was playing guitar had all these chicks sitting around and and uh and nobody ever sat around while i was painting a picture so i was like i want to play guitar <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of abandoned the art you know for yeah. for decades i didn't start painting again until the towers came down in new york and then uh and then i for some reason just i painted that picture in my head of those planes hitting the tower and uh and then from there that was like one of the first ones that i did and so all these years later i've done probably three or four hundred paintings but most of them have sold uh but and nice you know it was it was it was a good um it's good when i was a single dad and i was just hanging out with, the, with a baby 
Um, I could just sit there and, and, and paint where I couldn't make a bunch of noise, you know, I couldn't make music. So it, it ended up being a really good uh, replacement for that. So yeah, yeah, that would be something I would want somebody to know. Bob Ross of metal folks, the, the land of happy little atheists. Uh, <laughs> no landscapes. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, what do you want to, to leave with the uh, misery point radio listeners today? Anything else that uh, you want to put out? To well, the we world? covered a lot of things and we, yeah. we uh, you know, one thing, uh, you know, we talked a lot about a band that, that, uh, you know, with a record that's not out yet till the dirt, but there is a demo song um, called outside the spiral. Um, uh, it's available on the interwebs that you can check out if you wanted to kind of get an idea of, of the flavor of what we, you know, we spent so much time talking about. Um, but it's, uh, you know, the album version of that song, uh, has Steve DiGiorgio, um, from Testament and death playing bass on the album track, but the demo version is really cool as well. It's, it's a good quality production. It's an easy listen, but that'll give you an idea of the, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty indicative of the template of the album outside the spiral is it, it's a really catchy song. And so if it, somebody wants to kind of see, you know, unfortunately it's going to be a minute until we get our record deal all sorted out and, and get this out. It'll be 2022, probably spring before it, it actually comes out. But, um, you know, the moment that's locked down, then we'll be able to, you know, leak out some tracks. But, uh, in the meantime, uh, that's, that's all that's available to hear, but, uh, you know, to kind of get a, a taste of what's to come. Yeah, right on. And for the record, guys, that is the song that we played for you earlier in the show. So you can go back and listen to this again on your favorite streaming platform, or you can check out Outside the Spiral. I think that song is up there as a single in demo form on YouTube as well. And uh, Kelly, of course, at some point we'll hear some new Atheist material from you guys. But before then, we're going to see Atheist out on tour in the first part of 2022, February or so, right? Yeah, catch us, catch us in Europe. If uh, you know if you're listening from Europe right now, the tour starts in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, you can find uh, we're at a, a, a Instagram uh, com slash official atheist band, um, and then there is a uh, you know the same on Facebook till the dirt uh, band, and then uh, my Facebook personally, Kelly Schaefer. So any questions you have, um, I always answer all the mail. So uh, yeah, hit me up and. I love meeting new people. So if you have any questions about anything that we talked about or whatever, just hit me up yeah. and support this fucking radio show. Do it. Do it. it uh, you know, I mean, I love Top Ramen, but it'd be nice to have mac and cheese once in a while. I'm just saying. Uh, hey, man, I'm really glad to have uh, <laughs> had this conversation. I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, you know, we met in, uh, in, in strange circumstances, and uh, I feel like I made a great friend, a great metal oh, buddy. Thank you, brother. I look forward to, uh, to meeting you in person one day, maybe when I'm out in there in Florida in December. Uh, who knows? And then... No, I'm going to be I'm gonna be out your way. Uh, we're, doing a, we're definitely going to be doing a, a U.S. run, and uh, I just can't tell you exactly what it is, I, but, but it's definitely happening in May and June of, of next year. Oh, dude. And, uh so we'll be out. I'll, I'll be there to Seattle. We played Seattle with cattle um, on, in 2019. Um, I forget the name of the club, but that was a really, really good show. And um, so and that was with Author and Punisher. And, um, you know, it was, it was a really great bill. It was really cool. But I, that was our first time. No, second time playing in Seattle. I think we, once before we played there. But uh, so have, have you ever seen the band ever? No. Mm-mm. I haven't had a chance. Oh, great. So well, yeah. you'll be my guest at that show. So I'll oh. pick you up and, and, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. If not, then we're also playing Maryland death fest as well. So anybody traveling, uh, that's listening, um, we're doing, we have a performance at the Maryland death fest on, on the Friday of that weekend. Um, and it's going to be killer. That's going to be, I highly recommend anybody in America. If you really want to get a taste of Europe, 
and, w- and what festivals are like in Europe, that's the one worth traveling to. Uh, but you would definitely want to look into it now because the hotels get taken up really, really quick. I can tell you. Book so, your shit but- early for sure. And then when you uh, when you get back uh, from this next round of uh, tours in Europe, you and I can connect again. We'll talk about all the cool shit and maybe there'll be some more news at that point. Looking forward to it. All right, brother. Open door for you anytime. So, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Kelly Schaefer, atheist, till the dirt. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. And thanks, as always, to all of you out there in the wasteland for fighting the good fight, choking this shit down, and taking it like a champ. I know that was a lot to swallow, but trust me. You earned it. Now, do yourselves a flavor. Go follow Till the Dirt and Atheist so you can keep updated on all their awesomeness. And in typical Misery Point Radio style, we're going to leave you with one more epic tune. So here's Atheist with the song off their latest album, Jupiter. This one's called Third Person. KFMP, out! Oh my God.